Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM. Kino makes the front of the examiner this morning, actually, because uh, it's a beautiful, fantastic photograph. He was back on, on Lee's side there last month. A big photograph, head and shoulders one. Uh, he, of course, of going back to uh, Sunderland. He was back as manager there in 2008. Roy tip for the Sunderland return. Uh, front page are making this morning's examiner. And something that won't be returning after the end of February is masks in schools for kids. It's a mirror story today where they talk about mask wearing for primary school children is likely to end uh, in the next few weeks. Certainly they figure by the end of February. So that should come as, um, you know, maybe a happy time for uh, for kids in primary school and for the parents as well. Of course, at the same time, you're probably hearing rumblings of different variants of, of um, you know, Omicron uh, knocking around. But people don't talk about it as much, which is probably a healthy thing, really, in the sense that we're just getting on with things. And we've uh, an awful lot to be dealing with, of course, uh, just trying to survive these days. And on the one hand, uh, you got the mail on his front page this morning talking about the Department of Health Secretary General Robert Watt, who's in line for now a fourth pay rise. I think even he now at this age must be saying, for God's sake, will these pay rises ever stop? So a fourth one this year is a front one. Big, bold front page in the mail today saying that that will put his salary over €300,000 a year. Meanwhile, um, I see the front of this morning's son is talking. I mentioned this yesterday on the air that some publicans were saying the way things are going with prices and with costs and staffing issues and probably having to pay staff more, the pint is going to have to go up and they're saying in the front of the sun today that the price of stout is set to rise by 20 cent. So it's not so much a, a pint of plain anymore, it's a pint of pain. Um, so the, they're trying to do an average cost on the pint of, say, Guinness, I guess, or Murphy's, or indeed Beamish for that matter. It could hit €5.30 now. I don't know whether that's a Dublin city price, but um, other issues then involve one of the most important things to the Irish economy, of course, is hospitality and tourism, and they're interlinked. So where one suffers, the other usually suffers. And the Independent talks today of 40,000 jobs in tourism. We're in February now. We're in spring, and soon we'll be heading into the summer. I was talking with uh, Cork Chauffeurs Limited at the weekend, and they were telling me that they got their first booking in a long time from, from cruise ships coming back in to Cove at the, at the summertime from America and these are Americans booking so they're coming back again so 40,000 jobs go unfilled and I know you guys will say that it's not the best industry to be in because of the pay the conditions and the hours worked so I understand that and that's why they're probably in a bit of a quandary uh, here on Lee side, I'll have some more on this story a little later on this morning uh, there is now a suspect into the as the mirror puts it this morning the horror attack on a woman on Lee side. they have CCTV now showing the victim uh, being followed, and then uh, the violent incident on the street in uh, on Evergreen Street. So it's a boy of 13, apparently, according to uh, the front of the Mirror Guardian, investigating that vicious and random assault have identified a suspect aged just 13. So I'll pick up on that a little later on. Paul Byrne broke that story originally on Virgin Media News, but the Echo picks up on it saying the guards are continuing to appeal for more in- uh, information for the public in relation to the assault of the woman in the city on Saturday night. Woman in her 20s uh, heading home after 11 o'clock. Um, uh, Timmy Horahan, who died, um, and I recall interviewing and spending some time with Timmy, one of the homeless gentleman on Leaside uh, some years back. He was uh, a former chef, um, lovely guy, really salt-of-the-earth guy. Uh, that court case into his death has now begun, and uh, the examiner has it where they talk of a 28-year-old man. He's pleaded not guilty to murdering um, uh, Timmy. Uh, James Brady accused of kicking the 53-year-old like a football in the head and in the groin. 
part of a sustained assault. This is from October of 2019 up in the Mardike Walk. You'll, you'll recall that um, there was a number of people living up around the Mardike Walk in tents and Timmy was one of them. Now, a second man who can't be named for legal reasons is also charged with the murder. You might recall it at the time um, when the emergency services were called and reacted. Um, Timmy was found injured and unconscious by the fire service next to his tent. Now, his tent also had been set alight and his clothing and other items were thrown on top of the blaze. And he later died at the, the CUH, originally from Bantry. Lovely, lovely guy. So that's before the courts at the moment. In, in good news, though, I have to say, we're going to have a four-day St. Patrick's weekend. And on side, it will be a bumper um, St. Patrick's weekend. And Lord Mayor hopes that the four-day festival will be uh, a welcome return. And I think after a two-year absence, we want more of these things on Lisa. We want more of these parades and festivals and things like that. And musicians are coming back and you know the way it is. So that's a front page you're making the, the echo today. And Benny McKay won't be found wanting opening pubs. Um, it's been impossible to count his pubs and restaurants on two hands. You need an extra hand, maybe even two sets of hands to count them now because he's opening another one on Oliver Plunkett Street. It's going to be called the Rose Tattoo. That's a lovely story. Best wishes to him. There's also interesting news, and you may have heard this in the radio news a while ago, the amount of pets that have been returned. Um, you know, these would be pets, like they're talking about 300 pets returned since Christmas time. Um, because they're, you know, they're got us, they're got us pups, of course. And there's something really lovely, cuddly, and, you know, beautifully cute about a pup. But there's a lot of work involved in them. My son got his, and his partner got a, a little pup there recently, and it's very heavy going. I mean, they're lovely, but it's 24-7 with a small pup, so not everybody realizes that at the time. And apparently, uh, dog fishing is the latest term they use now, where people are buying pups online, based on online photographs of healthy dogs, but they're, they're claiming then to be sent animals, uh, which were not the one advertised that they bought. So they call that dog fishing. Uh, and others, others then were saying the reason they sent the dogs back or the pups back was because they underestimated how much work was involved in it. So in the space of, I don't know, four or five weeks, 300 uh, pups have been sent to uh, dog shelters, particularly the Dog Trust Ireland. Uh, and now they're looking for people to foster them. And the papers also talked this morning of those of you that wish to travel overseas. I don't know why this is. As they say 75% of people would avoid flying Ryanair. I mean, they get you there and they get you there cheaply, don't they? But nonetheless, people are saying that Ryanair has been named the worst airline for short-haul flights. There's an interesting tweet this morning, though, uh, that Ema gave to me, and this was from Cork Airport. Uh, and the tweet said, was from Jason, he sent it at about 6 o'clock this morning. He says, it's absolutely ridiculous that 300 people are here at Cork Airport this morning hungry. No sandwiches or tea left in the shop. Nowhere to get food. And he sent me that tweet. How is this still happening? And I understand where he's coming from because we checked this morning and there was a number of flights out of Cork Airport. I mean, there were two to Heathrow. There was one to Tenerife. There was another to Birmingham. And there was another to Amsterdam. So you got to wonder why they weren't prepared for it. But thank you for the tweet, Jason, all the same. And also, <clears throat> how many of us could hold our hands up and say that our car is something that you would welcome, um, uh, you know, a friend to give a lift to. You got to think about this because they're saying that your car's interior could actually be dirtier than a toilet seat, and they drill into the interior of people's cars. And I, I don't, I don't include my own car in this. I have to say, I don't mean to sound sanctimonious or anything, but I do know of other people whose cars really do fit the bill, whose interior is dirtier and has more germs than a toilet seat. 
the whole lot of it. They did swabs on the interior of cars, apparently, the boot and the driver's seat and the gear stick and the back seat and the dashboard and the steering wheel, and they found all sorts of bacteria. And I'm talking about thousands and thousands of bacteria. So beware. The inside of your car is dirtier than your toilet seat, and you probably clean the toilet seat. The Neil Prenderville Show. With free click and collect from Tesco. Now available at your local store. Book today at tesco.ie. And so, lines are open. Text 0868-104-106. Email neil at redfm.ie and pick up the phone on our new number 0818-104-106. I didn't get to this yesterday. Ran out of time and he was having a busy day of it. He's also got a very busy day ahead of him today. So I want to squeeze in a chat with Finbar O'Connor of O'Connor's Funeral Home because he was making the news yesterday and joins me by phone. Finbar, good morning. Good morning, Neil. I have to say, long time no see. I hope you're keeping well. I'm doing very well and same back to yourself. Thanks, pal. But having said that, though, you made the examiner yesterday talking about the lack of respect for funerals. And we chatted a little bit about this on the air and the news carried it. What prompted you to come forward to say that the old traditions are gone? Three separate instances happened to me within, I suppose, the last six months. The first one was we were leaving a church and we came to a mini roundabout. I was in my own car ahead of the hearse. The vision um, for that roundabout is very, very good. So there was no mistaking that there was a, a funeral coming from this driver's left-hand side. I had my window open. I motioned for him to slow down and totally and utterly ignored me. drove straight through the junction or through the roundabout and almost clipped the front of my car. The second one then was um, a taxi at a very similar roundabout cut in between the hearse and the family car and um, turned off about 30 metres later. So that car then was between the hearse and the family car and broke the cortege, if you like. Exactly, exactly. And there was no need because 30 metres later, he or she, was it a he or a she, do you know? I I don't. I believe it was a he, but... um, There was no need for it because 30 metres later he just pulled off. If he had waited at the junction for, I would think, about 30, 40 seconds, the cortege would have been through and he would have been free on his way. They're, They're bad enough, but the third incident sounds to me the worst. The third instance was we were heading to Chetwind Cemetery. We came, we were going through um, the Bandon Road roundabout. And as you know, by the entrance to Duns, two lanes merge into one. Um, the, this opportunist driver saw a small gap, decided he'd take it, and pulled in between the second and the third family cars. Um, because we were driving at a slower rate than normal traffic would, I think that the opportunist got a bit frustrated and literally put his hand in the horn and kept it there, urging the cars in front to hurry up. Um, I'm assuming that this individual knew that this was a funeral, yeah? He had to have known. I mean, three cars ahead of him was a hearse. Four cars ahead of him was my car. Why do you think that is, that people have turned so... I mean, that's almost like an incident of road rage against a funeral. I think that um, the respect for funerals has diminished over the years. I remember back in the good old days when we used to, uh, let's say, do a removal 
up Shandon Street, every single premises would be closed for the duration while the hearse passed and opened again straight afterwards. Does that not happen now? No. Well, sorry, some, some places will, others won't. Is it maybe that they just don't know that there's a funeral on the way, you know? Quite possibly, yeah. quite possibly. But, I mean, let's say if there are people standing outside premises, they might just stick their head in the door, there's a funeral coming. Gotcha, up. and that's probably the way it was traditionally in the years. Quite possibly. I have, to, possibly. I have to say that in, in rural areas, and I've had numerous examples of this in, in, say, South Kerry, and it's probably the same in West Cork, um, there was a funeral recently, just after Christmas, and I recall that all the way from Cahir to Port McGee, people lined the roads. They literally were out on the roads waiting for the hearse to pass. I mean, this would have been um, easily a 15-kilometre stretch of road. All of the shops in Port, in, in Port McGee, was very few there, but in Carcevine, actually did close. Do you think it might be something that still goes on in country areas, but the pace of life in the city, people have moved on from it? What you have to remember is that uh, we had a major lockdown in this country for more or less two years. Um, A lot of businesses have suffered and I can understand if they want to keep their their doors open 24-7 that's totally up to them. Now a lot of the time uh, you have reduced staff inside in these premises and they're not able to get out to the front door to close it. Yeah, but that's not necessarily what I'm saying. That it's like I still, like I also know that when my my mother in law died, Kitty Lennon, she was 99. I'll never forget. It was right in the middle of lockdown, and all down through Blackrock Village and up around Dunlock Cottages, all of the neighbours came out and stood at their gates. So some of the traditions are still there. Some of them are, but the, what you have to remember is, and you just said it there, that was during lockdown, they weren't able to go to the church. Yeah, maybe so, yeah. And this was their way of showing respect to your mum. Yeah, yeah. But it's, they, they, I mean, the accusations this morning seem to be very much against motorists, don't they? I mean, I suppose nobody likes to get caught behind a funeral and move so slow, but you suck it up, don't you? Well, Neil, I mean, yes, as a normal everyday car driver, if there is a funeral passing, I myself would pause and leave the funeral go through. Correct. And so it should be. Do you know know something? I mean, I I still find myself blessing myself when when a a hearse passes. You know, it's kind of the habit you get into as a kid. I still do it. I mean, I can only speak for ourselves, but I'm sure there are other funeral directors in Cork and nationwide that this has happened to as well. Do you know, but on that point, as you're driving along, because you would be one of the first cars, do you notice people, pedestrians and people on the streets blessing themselves when a, when a hearse would pass? A lot of the time, the old, those old Older traditions, generally. yeah, that people walking on the footpath they see a funeral coming towards them they might pause, bless themselves and once the hearse passes they walk on. But you were saying in the examiner that you want people to do that or at least you're urging and asking people to consider doing that, bowing your head and you know maybe... It's just I suppose it's a mark of respect not only to the deceased but also to the family that yes I acknowledge your loss. Yeah. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Just to, yeah, pause for a couple of seconds, acknowledge exactly. the loss by bowing your head or what have you. Yeah. My, but I suppose things have changed anyway. Religion isn't as front and centre as it was years ago, so it's not. So you have to acknowledge that change as well. Exactly, exactly. But I mean, as you say, we're, we're, on the religious side of it, people don't have to bless themselves. They no, just bow their head. Bow your head, they yeah. Just, they yeah. can just pause. Listen, I was also reading in, in the examiner, Owen English's part, about O'Connor's funeral home. You're, you're fourth generation now. Um, right. I, can, I can only imagine what it must have been like because O'Connor's did the funeral for Terence McSweeney and Tomás McCurtain and Jack Lynch as well, right? That's right. That's oh right. my God, they must have been massive funerals. They were, they were. Uh, with Jack Lynch's funeral, we were given the heads up on um, his demise, or his forthcoming demise, yeah. well in advance. And um, the amount of meetings we had with the Gardaí, with the Army, with the uh, Department of the Taoiseach, that everything was put in place well in advance yeah, yeah. of the the actual funeral. An awful lot of detail involved in funerals like those. Exactly, and especially when you have a lot of organisations involved, you with the Army, you with the Navy, you with the Department of the Taoiseach, you with the the Gardaí, Um, you with the family, which were front and centre. Of course. And it, it, it was a logistical nightmare, but it went off perfectly. And tell me this, just finally, because I know you have to crack on, but are you noticing a lot of people now are opting for cremation as opposed to burial? I would look at it as uh, it's about 35% cremation over uh, compared to burial. But that's climbing so, isn't it? That's a, that's a substantial <laughs> it figure. What, um, people used to think that graves were um, forever, that they could be used forever. Yeah. But one of the City Council's um, conditions is that not more than three adult burials will be, sorry, three adult coffin burials will be allowed per plot. Um, There are instances, I'm sure, where eight or ten people have been buried in, in a grave over the decades. Yes. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. So, um, but there is no restriction on the amount of ashes yes. that go into a grave. And do people do that then after cremation, uh, bury the ashes in an urn? And yes, wh- yes. And Where? In somebody else's grave with them? Is no, it? no well, sorry, um, let's say now that your, uh, your mum and dad are, and let's say a sibling are buried in a, your family grave. Yes. There's no room for another coffin. Yes. But you want to go in there. Yes. The only way you can go in would be your ashes. I see. Okay. And your wife and your children, they could all go in there as well. There is no current limit that I know of on the amount of ashes that can go into a grave. That's very interesting because I thought that a lot of the time people kept the ashes and the urn of a loved one with them, you know, or maybe scattered them at sea or... Off the top of Some, Shandon. Sometimes they do. Yeah. And can it's you can you do that? Do you need, up to the family. Do you need, every family is totally utterly unique. And would you need permission we, for something like that? I wonder. You know, for you, which, sorry. Say, for instance, I remember talking on the air a few years ago that after I'm gone and cremated, I wouldn't mind some of my ashes being thrown off the top of Shandon. I mean, would that be illegal? Throwing it off the top of Shandon, I don't know how the <laughs> the, the neighbours of Shandon. I know what you're would. suggesting. I need to do it on the QT. 
Yes, of course, of course, of course. (laughs) Um, As far as I'm aware, you need permission from the owner if you want to do it on private land. Gotcha, yeah. yeah. On public land, let's say off the old head of Kinsale, just for argument's sake, I don't think permission would be needed for scattering. I understand. Finbar, I let you get on. Good to catch up. Thanks for sharing your stories this morning. Have a great day. Appreciate it. Not at all, Neil. Take Take care. care, yourself. Finbar O'Connor from O'Connor's Funeral Home. Your thoughts on that are welcome. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Can I just say ahead of the ad break, because we've been dealing with this an awful lot, and I was forewarning you over the last week or 10 days with regards to passports. Remember I was saying yesterday, you really need to be looking at your passports now even for the summer you need to be kicking in some sort of a plan passport office came back to us yesterday regarding some queries we had with the service and they said uh, that the passport service has been fully functioning since may of 2021 with all staff in attendance in the office or offices of cork and dublin not, not open to the public unless it's by appointment I know that but all the staff are back since May 2021 there are other sections of the public service that you can't say that about like, I mean not open and you know working from home and, and things like that uh, even even private companies like VHI still have this automated service saying everybody's working from home due to COVID and I'm saying what? what are you talking about? that was yesterday's news anyway but they are saying that they are recruiting additional permanent and temporary staff for assignment to the passport office And that hiring drive has been on the way since the back end of last year. They say that they will double the number of staff in the passport service. And it will be doubled from June 2021. um, And and it will be doubled by, say, the same time in 2022. Maybe by June 2022, the number of staff in the passport service will be doubled. And that will be far more than just the 300 staff that have been recruited already since June 2021. So they are hiring more and more staff. We don't have a printer on, on Leaside, and um, a member of the Cork Passport Office said there never would be because it wouldn't fit. They said that the passport tracker provides, because you know people get an estimated date and it's never right. The passport office, or at least the Department of Foreign Affairs, said the passport tracker provides an estimated issue date. Yeah. No travel should be booked unless all of the travelling party actually physically has a passport. So the Department of Foreign Affairs saying, don't book a holiday anticipating that your passport will arrive. So if you do need a passport, Passport Online is the fastest way to renew all passports. Now, this statement talks about renewing all of the time. It doesn't talk about new passports, renewing. And they're saying Passport Online is the fastest way. Meanwhile, the paper-based Passport Express system is the slowest application method. But you see, not everybody is online and they use the old traditional system. Now, the downside to this release is they don't talk about people applying for first passports. Uh, The renewal ones we know can be an awful lot faster and they drilled into the breakdowns there. So that's as much as I have to tell you on that one. And there isn't a day goes by that I don't have calls or texts, or in this case again today, yet more emails. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And off we go. John, good morning. Good morning, Neil. It's a real cork term, isn't it? Traffic is brutal. Where is it brutal? <laughs> I'll tell you... Um I was just listening to you, O'Connor, lad, there, while I go on the phone, right, on yep. the radio. Um, the Bishop's so roundabout, right? I was coming up from the tunnel last Friday evening, came up to the lights, lights went green, I went around the corner, and the other lights just flashed green right outside Duns. And the two lanes merged into one there. I was in the inside lane, I was driving a truck, and 
I didn't know about it until a West Cork transport company. This fellow goes flying up outside me, drives my mirror forward, oh, right? Oh my God. I put on the horn, stood in the brakes, and he went off up the road. Yesterday evening, I had exactly the same thing with a car. He came straight down in front of me, and only if I were braking, I would have hit him. Now, I rang um, Union Key Garda Station to find out what was the story, and they said ring Bishop so out of the jurisdiction they could give me no information. What do you ring them for? To find out who has the right way there. If I'm going to West Cork, should I be in the outside lane? I would say that, yeah. I would say the outside or lane, wouldn't should, you? Should I be in the inside lane? I would say the out, wouldn't you? I mean, I, I'm just trying to picture it in my head here. Two, you got uh, w- two lanes of traffic that merge and end up in one. And it's a, is it like a race to get ahead of the other fella into the lane ahead of him or her? Well, that, that's what it was yesterday evening with the car. There's no doubt about that. He just didn't want to stay behind the truck going out, out the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind, of, it's kind of deadly dangerous then, isn't it? Well, it is. It's gone to the stage now that we have to go away and fit cameras into the thing because when I did ring... When I did ring uh, UNK, what he told me was, have you dash cam? And I said, I haven't. Was there damage to your vehicle? <coughs> no, the, the mirrors and the lorries, they'd either slide forward or slide back. Yeah. They're not, they're not permanent. So you're a but lorry I, driver, are you? I am, yeah. So you guys seriously know the rules of the road. You don't know, no? Well, I was always taught to give way to the right. So I, I presume that if you're in the inside lane, it's going forward. Bef- before, that right-hand lane, as far as I was concerned, was for people turning into the filling station. Oh, uh, is that across the road? It is, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, that would make sense. If you went across the road, then you'd be in the... I, I, I don't know. I mean, for, for me, if two lanes merge into one, and there are two cars next to each other and the two lanes merging into one, the car on the right-hand side is the right-of-way. I, I would have thought that, anyway. Right. But, I, but I wouldn't maybe. be taking a gamble on it. I'd certainly have my wits oh, about me, that. you know. But maybe one of the listeners out there, maybe someone from the council of the Guardian could come along to radio and say, look, which is it? Let's find out. Okay, thank you for that, John. Let's find out. In the case of two lanes merging into one, which lane has the right of way? Text 0868104106. Well, could be a motorist. Might be a taxi driver. Taxi drivers know lots about these kind of things. <laughs> They don't all follow the rules themselves, but they may well know. Linda, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Uh, just updating there from the Department of Foreign Affairs. It's bad now, but destined to get a hell of a lot worse. But it's very interesting. And I just say to you that I also get texts from people who apply online for passports and they get them within a couple of days. One woman here, Marie, says she got it within three days uh, applying online. What's your own situation? Yeah, and, you know, that actually was my situation in one instance where I had to renew my husband's passport. I I got the passport back in a couple of days. But my situation is um, a first-time application. I know. That's a different situation entirely. It is. Um, So, I suppose, look, um, my two youngest kids have never been abroad and we decided, as part of their Christmas present, we'd go to Disneyland with them, your Disney, um, for the midterm in February. Yes. So I knew the situation with the passport office, so I said I'd get the ball rolling early and I submitted the application on the 3rd of November. Yeah, it's t- yeah. I mean, in, in the world we live in now, that's tight enough, but you would think that it shouldn't be. I know what you mean. I th- yeah, I thought it, I would be okay because they say, I think it's around 40, 45 days, you know, of a time frame. 
So um, that was fine. I got, got the forms filled out, sent it off, and I went online on the DSA website to look at the passport tracker and I could see the applications were received, the documents were being processed and I had an estimated date of January 24th. Happy days. Great. So, um, But we now know that those estimated day, days, they, they're nonsense. They don't count. Yeah. You know? yeah. No, no, saying that I have two applications, one for my son and one for my daughter. One is five, one is three. So, um... On the 21st of, it's just ironic, on the 21st of, of January, I actually went in to, to pay off the holiday and I left it quite late to pay the balance because I was conscious that I didn't have the passports in my hand, right. but I couldn't leave it any later. So that morning I checked the applications online. My daughter's was sent to print and my son's was still being processed, but there was no alert. There was nothing like that on the system. Yeah. So I went in at lunch um, and I paid it in town and I came back out and within an hour I was after getting a notification that there was an issue with my son's passport. Oh, yeah, here we go. Yeah. Now, this was only one working day before I was physically supposed to have it in my hand. So I suppose, you know, my first question in my own head was why have they left it so late to notify me that there was an issue with the passport? Why? Yeah. I mean, why, why, wasn't, why wasn't it flagged sometime around early November, for instance? Exactly. And, you know, I'd be fairly efficient enough. I'd be on the ball. I would do whatever they needed to be done. If they gave me a bit more notice, I might have had some hope. Okay, so where are you at now? I mean, what happened after that? So I got my daughters in the post on the 24th, like like they said. But um, I tried then to download a form. When they sent it, they said, you need to download a new form. So that was on the Monday. The whole week, the website was out of action. Their web chat was out of action. I couldn't get through on the web, couldn't get through on the phone. Um, I eventually, I think I rang, I think in the email I said 55 times, but it's probably closer to 75 times on the one day to say I can't get the form downloaded. I've been to the Cork passport office. They were like, they, they told me, which I found very hard to believe that the Cork office doesn't talk to the Dublin office. Which I don't understand, but look, that's what that's... What, they don't get on, is it? (laughs) What do they mean by by that time? They got the hump or something? (laughs) Exactly, my thoughts. They're not talking. (laughs) God But as well then, I was also told the Cork Passport Office only deals with renewals. And that's another question. Why can't the Passport Office in Cork deal with first-time applications? I mean, what does Dublin have that they don't have? You know? It's the same old story, isn't it? I mean, I hate to sound parochial about it, but it's always been that way. It's Dublin and the rest of the country. So, and I spoke yesterday about the fact that we should have a printer on, Lisa. They should be printing. But somebody within the passport office then told us the place isn't big enough to put in a printer. This just wouldn't work. They Even if they ordered one now, it would take years to arrive. So I don't understand that. So you physically, are you going to have to leave a child behind or cancel Euro Disney? So this this is my option. So I, the form now has been sent. I was able to send it on Friday. It arrived in the passport office Monday morning. But my tracker still haven't updated to say that they have confirmed that they got the documents. So I'm in limbo land. So I don't know what... And how long more have you got? I, I'm meant to be flying on the 22nd of February. And the kids are asking me. They know kind of... They know they're going, but they don't have any idea of timeline. So but they keep saying, you know, Mom, when are we going to Mickey 19 Mouse? 19 days to Mickey Mouse land, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like, you know, someone did say to me, are you going to leave one behind so that you don't lose out on the holiday? But like me, my son is three and 
I tell you now, oh, sorry, he's five, but we got him um, a Mickey Mouse teddy when he's two, and he <laughs> still has that teddy. He just he'd never so he'd never recover from that the whole of no, his life. I'd say it w- I wouldn't dream of leaving. Him he'd never recover. I tell you, he just wouldn't. <laughs> so, I was past another mother yesterday. The very same question, and she said, "I said, are you going to leave one behind?" No, he just could no. not do that. You couldn't, no. He'd be traumatised for life if I did that to him, God love him. Okay, well, listen, that's 19 days' time. As I say to everybody, we've contacted the passport office on your behalf. Let's see if it expedites and speeds stuff up. Will you please stay in touch and let me know? I will, Neil. I will. I will, indeed. Thank you very much. Come back. And and come back ASAP, particularly if you get it, yeah? Because uh, we want to know that everybody's safe and well and everybody's going to be travelling, including... um, What's your lad's name, the little fella, three-year-old? it's Connor. Connor, the Mickey yeah. Mouse fan. All right. Yeah. Okay, Linda, chat again, all right? Thanks, Neil. Take Bye. Care. Take care. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. And it's also important to accentuate the positive. I mean, people do get stuff turned around, but it's renewals get turned around much faster. I renewed my wife's passport and my own passport online last Saturday. We received the new passports the following Wednesday morning in the post. Another one here. My husband's online passport arrived in three days. I apl- this one says, I applied for my passport online on a Wednesday at lunchtime. I had my passport the following Monday morning. It only just took days. I'm assuming you said you applied for a new passport as opposed to renewal. So, there you go. Another one here. Neely Boy, I sent away for a brand new passport in June and I got it in August. No problem. Heading off to Italy tomorrow for three weeks, says Dennis. So enjoy it. And one other one. My brother-in-law applied for his passport online last Wednesday. He had it within two days. Applying for a passport or renewing a passport within two days? I wonder. Anyway, text 0868104106. I want to return to a story on Lisa that I referenced there in the newspapers a little earlier on this morning. It was originally broke by Paul Byrne, a Southern correspondent for Virgin Media News. And this is the attack on the young girl in her 20s on Evergreen Street last Saturday night. Now, she was hurt. She was injured. She was taken to hospital. Mirror this morning is saying that she had a suspected broken jaw. Uh, with the backstory to this and bringing us right up to date, I am joined by Paul Byrne from Virgin Media News. Paul, good morning. Good morning, Neil. I think it's best maybe if we just rewind, share what you can with yeah. us about Saturday night and the situation that the girl found herself in. Okay, well, this young lady was walking along Evergreen Street. And let me tell you where, if, for those who don't know where it is, let me start by... We're at the end of Barrick Street and the Flying Enterprises on your left-hand side just up the road a little bit and swing left. There's a, a takeaway there on the corner. Years ago, it used to be the Yangtze River. All along there is Evergreen Street. It's a long area, a long road. And this uh, woman who is in her 20s, early 20s, was walking alone along the road around half past 11 on Saturday night. She'd been out with a number of friends, walking home, minding her own business, and all of a sudden, without... Any warning uh, she was set upon, and this young um, teenager, believed to be just 13 years of age, uh, attacked her, uh, viciously assaulted her, uh, kicked and punched her, and threw her to the ground. Now, she screamed out for help, and luckily a number of people who were passing by heard the screams and went to assist, but as they ran over to her, this uh, teenager ran from the scene and she didn't get uh, a look at what he looked like. A number of um, witnesses did get some description and they were able to help Gardy with their inquiries. Now, obviously, this woman was extremely 
traumatised uh, after what had happened. That was a brutal assault. It was a brutal assault. Brutal, absolutely. It was described to me as brutal, horrific, and one of the worst uh, one person had ever seen. Absolutely horrific. Uh, severe facial injuries. A suspected broken jaw, uh, had no idea what happened. Uh, she did say that all she remembers is that uh, there was this jolt. She went to the ground, tried to protect herself, covered herself in this kind of tight, fetal type of position mm. and just remembers being kicked and punched but had no idea or haven't, has no idea what the attacker looked like. Are you in a position Absolutely to say if there was any weapon involved in this or I don't mean to prejudice an investigation but when we talk about cuts, do you think there was a weapon involved? Uh, from my understanding, it was just um, hands and gotcha. legs were okay. were used in the okay. attack. That's my understanding. Okay. No, I haven't been told that there was a weapon or of any type in, involved. Maybe there had been, but uh, my understanding is just it was kicks and punches and uh, thrown to the ground. Um, you know, leaving the woman extremely traumatised. She was taken to a hospital for treatment, and um, you know, just you, you can just imagine. I suppose, had she not even been attacked as in kicked and punched, but just been set upon from behind, it must have been a horrific nightmare. Yes, I know. Um, so when witnesses came to her aid, and incidentally some of the witnesses says that he spoke with a local accent, I believe. Um, when, he, when they came to her aid, he ran away, is it? He ran away. Um, the guards were alerted immediately. They um, scoured the area and um, harvested CCTV footage from a number of uh, locations. And this um, suspect in the case um, was picked, picked up walking just a couple of feet behind the woman before she was attacked. Okay. Um, okay. So they were able to uh, zoom in on the, on the images and identify this uh, 13-year-old who is now a person of interest really and, and a major person of interest in the investigation. So we say no more about that because that investigation is ongoing however yeah. we must remember that Ashling Murphy died at the hands of an attack and then of course on Monday we heard in Kilkenny of another attack on a 17 year old girl and I don't know whether you knew it about it or not but uh, the next day that was on the Monday and then on Tuesday a woman in her 50s was, atta- was attacked apparently in St Stephen's Green at quarter past four in the afternoon. That's right and uh, I think she suffered a broken nose and um a man has been charged. I think he's in, in court later today on, on that in relation to the attack in St. Stephen's Green. Um, you know, I, I heard somebody yesterday saying, are there copycat type Don't of know, incidents? Man. Don't know. And uh, like a lady, a spokesperson for Women's Aid was saying, no, that this is just a culture. And Mary Crilly, who I spoke with uh, as part of the, the story that we ran, also said, look, it's, it's, it's a culture and it's got to change men's attitude towards women. And the young lady, the young girl on Lee's side, um, of course, she was taken to the CUH, treated for in, her injuries, broken jaws, very painful. Um, she was treated. Was she was she released then, or, or where are we at with that? Is she at home now? Yeah, she was discharged from hospital a short time um, later, the, the the next morning, um, after being X-rayed and undergoing a lot of tests. Um, taken home to her family, who you know are comforting her at the, at the moment. Uh, I, I've been speaking to people who know her, and. Um, you know, she's just at home trying to recover, really, and um, get back in her feet. But this is something, you know, that will leave their physical scars. But people uh, following an attack, whether it's a male or a female, a female or a male, um, you know, it, it, it leaves mental scars for many, many Without years. And sometimes people, uh, you know, suffer nightmares. And But hopefully this girl can try and uh, recover and get on with her life. But, you know, things like that, they leave an everlasting impression and um, physical and mental scars. Thanks, Paul, as always, for the update. I do appreciate it. Paul Byrne, Southern Correspondent with 
Virgin Media News. I was telling you the story yesterday of a girl who um, stepped out of a nightclub. She had the wristband on and everything. She'd paid her money. She was with her mates. Uh, it was noisy because it was yeah, obviously they were they were bopping in there and the music was loud. So she stepped out to take a phone call tried to get back in and the door staff would not let her in. Now, they were very, very annoyed about this. She eventually managed to get in touch with her friends inside to tell them that she couldn't get back in um, and uh, they had to come out. But if they had never been able to get in touch with her, she couldn't get in touch with them, she would have perhaps walked off and tried to get home or whatever the case may be. And I was suggesting that nightclubs and pubs need to rethink that policy. Even if it comes with a bit of a headache, they need to rethink it because you can't have that kind of carry on where a friend gets isolated, male or female for that matter, incidentally, gets isolated and has to find their own way home. Particularly if there's a, you know, they they might have a few jars on board um, and, you know, might be able to get a taxi or whatever the case may be and they might end up walking. So I think that that's wrong. I, I really do. And I think that if you've paid your 15 euro and you've got a wristband on you, you need to be allowed back in. I mean, you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a paying customer and you haven't broken any law. You haven't done anything that would have you ejected from the club. So the bouncers really have a responsibility to people who are going in and out and to their safety, not just inside the club, but outside. So I was mentioning all of that yesterday. Uh, quite a number of texts on it. I'll just do a few this side of 10 o'clock. When I was in Cardiff, a woman was slightly too intoxicated. And so the bouncers sat her down got her some water and kept an eye on the woman until a friend came and got her. I've, be, I've seen a similar example in Rome where that happens, but the bounces in Cork are an absolute disgrace. They're one of the main reasons there is such an increase in trouble and lack of safety in Cork. Anyone thrown onto the street is immediately vulnerable and the nightclubs must start taking responsibility for their customers' health. And a few texts. Cork nightclubs are shocking. The bouncers don't even want to be there. And I've often heard them telling people to leave their friends outside and just go on in yourself. Patsy says, of course the girl should have been left back in. The club should be named now and not after something that could have happened to the girl on her night out. It should be looked into and the doormen should be interviewed to see if they are fit for the job in the first place. And if they have a thing called common sense which is not all that common. Marie says, just to be fair, a lot of bouncers go above and beyond in Cork. A few weeks back, we were getting hassled by drunken fools by Castle Street and bouncers from a nearby well-known pub came and brought us to the pub so we could call a cab safely and they saw us off. For every bad story, Neil, there's hundreds of good ones. Don't tar everyone with the same brush. Most bouncers are just out to earn a wage. I'm sad that young girl had that experience, but maybe change venues to a more secure venue. Well, it's worth looking at their door policy. I really do think so. Uh, I bet you, Neil, this was only half the story. How late was it? How much had she to drink? Ed, get a grip, pal. Would you please get a grip? What does it matter? what time it was. What in the name of God does it matter how much she had to drink? That's not part of the story or the narrative at all, man. I just don't get that. If, as a young woman, you're planning a night out, it's your responsibility to ensure you have credit to be able to call someone if you are separated from the group or you need to get home for any reason. Yeah, in the ideal world, we would have all of the checks and balances done and ticked all of the boxes, uh, but it doesn't always work that way. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now on the new number, 0818-104-106. I had a good crack yesterday on air, and there were some issues going on with, with online listening and stuff like that, and my apologies for that. All that's been rectified now, but um, I had been uh, chatting about Victoria Beckham yesterday. Uh, David Beckham revealed that she eats the same meal 
every single day the same food for 25 years and I was checking in with the lads around here as to the types of food they would eat so mouth-watering description of what uh, Lano O'Connor would eat with regards to the uh, roast chicken dinner every single day uh, so with Victoria Beckham of course it was fish and vegetable but if you drill into it more it's actually a fillet of sea bass and broccoli and broccoli's got to be the most boring veg but that's her one, her one. Now, some people say that, seriously, exact the same meal for 25 years sounds like jail time. Well, I would think that, you know, menus in jails would be better than the same food every single day. Uh, somebody else says, maybe that's why Victoria Beckham has a sour puss on her. <laughs> Always eating the same food every day, says Terry. Um, Pat says, for me, I imagine if what you're actually saying to me is that if you just eat the same meal every day for 25 years, it would be fish finger sandwiches. You call it your favourite treat. Um, This would be either in bread or grilled in a wrap. It may sound plain and boring, but it's lovely, Sissy. I'm with you there, front and centre, with a fistful of fives. I want one of them. Not in the wrap, though, but certainly in crusty bread. Not toasted, just fresh, crusty bread with the fish fingers and ketchup. Denise says that it would definitely be chicken casserole made, sorry, it's actually chicken casserole made by Denise at the CEF summer camp. So whoever is doing the food at the CEF summer camp, take a bow for the chicken casserole. And one final one this side of the news, corned beef on the bone and cabbage with boiled or steamed potatoes in their jackets. The beef must be from Nolan's on Fair Hill. So apparently they do good beef at Nolan's on Fair Hill. So corned beef on the bone with cabbage. That's the funny thing. You don't see corned beef and cabbage on menus in restaurants. Uh, I know somebody said to me, Blair's into it and one or two others. But you will see a lot of, you know, bacon and cabbage or, you know, the things like that. But not so much corned beef and cabbage, which is a shame, really. So thank you for that. So keep those common text 0868104106 if you were like Victoria Beckham and could only eat the same meal every day for 25 years, what would it be? 104 to 106 Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. Talking about housing, and we were chatting yesterday about how difficult it is now for this generation as opposed to their parents' generation. You'd be talking about my, my kids in their 20s now as opposed to, say, me in my 20s and certainly trying to buy a house and mortgages and stuff. So one or two on that. You, you need to remember. Yeah, I did mention it. Um, somebody saying, you need to remember with regards to housing in the 1980s, people were paying 12 to 13% interest rates. You are right. And there was at one stage, actually, interest rates in the 80s were at 16%. And then there was, a, there was all sorts of different charges. There was a bridging loan charge by the banks way back then. And that was a, that was a tax that the bank took that you had to pay uh, while you were waiting to download the mortgage itself in full. It was crazy times. Uh, the 40-plus year mortgage will come soon. Why? Because the Construction Industry Federation have pushed the prices of homes over €300,000, fueled by the government and their so-called incentives. Uh, you know, the first-time buyer's incentive. Uh, the €400,000 house arrived in Carrigaline with the help to buy incentive. Most houses are now not better than what they were. Give me blocks any day compared to the timber frames and the tiny gardens. Customers' high-tech salaries attract the higher prices, you see. Everybody else is left out. And then, of course, there's stamp duty and VAT. Highest mortgage rates in Europe here in Ireland, and no one gives a hoot 
over 5,000 in the southern area on a waiting list for a new home. High salaries, you see, are setting the benchmark for all prices. And that's an interesting text. One more. And just wondering when all these people are throwing out these figures saying a lot of people have well-paid jobs, are they on about before or after tax? Never mind mortgages and the price of living. I'll chat with Connor Pope about that a little later on and other things besides. So I will be coming back to it. Um, but I just want to go back to that story from yesterday, the email about the girl outside the nightclub. And we have asked the nightclub um, to come back to us. I know who the nightclub is, but I'm just waiting on a response to them. So I haven't got that yet. But I'm just wondering whether they would look at their policy again. So in the meantime, Sarah, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Did How you, are you? I'm good. Did you hear yesterday or some of the texts there this morning from people who had an opinion on this topic? I just heard this morning good. briefly okay. um, about the topic and I just thought I'd ring in okay. because we had an incident on Tuesday night. My daughter was in a nightclub in town, left the nightclub at half twelve and was outside the door, realised she left her handbag inside, knocked on the door, nobody answering. Um, door was shut, was it? Door was shut. The door, they closed the door. You see, they weren't letting any more people back in. This was half twelve. Um, knocked on the door. They could see her, but they wouldn't answer. And a bouncer left some people out, and she asked the bouncer, could she go back in to get her handbag? And the bouncer ignored her, slammed the door in her face. Oh, for God, why? What's wrong? Yeah, I think it's the attitude they have to the young people. Um she did text the next day and was told there was no handbag. Um, we well, I suppose at that stage, by the end of the night, exactly. there's a good chance there'll be no handbag, huh? Exactly. Um, we did ring yesterday evening and asked for a manager to get back on to us. We got no response. Um, I just think it's appalling. That, that girl had her keys, her student IDs, everything in her handbag. Um, so now she has to pay to get new student IDs. Um, they know where the house is because obviously her student IDs has her address on it um, with her house keys on it. Was there money in it? Bad. Was there a wallet in it? No, of hers? no, no money, thank God, because she had, she has all her money on her phone. Um, but the point is... How'd she get home? The, she got a taxi because she can pay on her phone. Oh, that okay. was okay. Yeah, yeah. But the point is they didn't know any of that. They had no respect for her. It's just about respect. I think, you know, they need to treat the young people with a little bit of respect. See, uh, for as long as I can remember, there's been criticism of door staff on Side, And I, I gigged for many, many years and I met an awful lot of bouncers. You know, the good, the bad and the in-between. Mm, yeah. Uh, like, and some of them were fantastic, but others were back Absolutely. in the day, certainly on power trips. And I'm wondering, are there Absolutely. still an element of them still on a bloody power trip? A girl says, a girl says, please, could I go in? I forgot my bag. You would say, yes, okay, you know, slammed. go, go yeah. on in, get it. Yeah. That's yeah. simple. I was. Exactly. I mean, she probably had a wristband on and everything. I'm not sure of that now, um, but I mean, you don't look to go back in on your own, you know, to get a handbag if you hadn't left one in there. Yeah, and, and I'm not going to, listen, I know what you're saying with regards to that, but everybody should be tra- treated equally, whether you're a young girl or a young guy, and I'm not going to Absolutely. turn out like I some agree. sort of a sexist dinosaur by saying Absolutely. that we need to mind our young girls more, but I think you know what I'm saying, you know? Yeah, Like any, anybody in a situation like that, What's the big deal with that doorman? He wouldn't let her just back in at all just yes. to get her bag. Yeah. I mean, yeah. never mind now the she, fact that he didn't even he didn't even acknowledge her presence. No, no. Now, she was outside the door with somebody, so she just wanted to go back in on her own. It wasn't as if, um, 
you know, she was she was looking to get into the nightclub free. You know, he, she clearly was with somebody outside, you know, and just realised her bag was inside. So it wasn't the fact that she was pulling a fast one or anything no, like that. No, I mean, big, big deal. Like, she's going in to get her yeah. bag. And also, yeah. people should also think that, think through the eyes of, of a parent. It could be mm. that doorman's daughter. You know. Exactly. Our son, like, I, I'm not, it's not... Well, in this case, it was a female, so... It was a female. Always think through the eyes of, would I like this to happen to my own daughter? When you're making a call like that. My own son, as you say. You know? Yeah, our son. Because we have a son as well, and, you know, I'd like him to be treated with respect as well. Um, Because, you know, they need to be treated with respect, the young people. So the bag's gone, the keys are gone, bag is gone. her keys college are gone, ID's gone. ID. So she has to reapply for all of that now again. Um, but also, like, her details are in her bag with her, with her keys, you know, with the house keys. Disaster. Yeah, a disaster. You're no, contemplating the, the, the bag, changing the locks, are you? Exactly, yeah, I know. absolutely. I know. The bag could have been um, gone at that stage anyhow, but he didn't give her the opportunity to look it may it may have it may not it have, may have but at least she'd yeah. be going to have a look you know it's exactly yeah yeah I That's just think they need to have a better training maybe I'm not sure what I agree the, uh, I agree solution is. I agree thank you so much Sarah regards to you and your daughter you're welcome Jenna says a lot of bouncers in my opinion throw their weight around a lot thinking they are much more superior than what they really are shameful on them Linda says I would never leave a female outside I had to give my taxi money to young girls before because their bags were robbed rule number one in security never leave a female on their own getting the impression here, Linda, that you work in um, in security yourself. So thank you for that. Uh, Robin says, 97% of Cork bouncers act like they're on a power trip. Visit any other county in Ireland and you're met with real people on the door. I never experienced anything like those in Cork. Um, bring back con outside Oriadis. It's <laughs> an interesting one. Bernie says, business owners should cop on and instruct their doormen or women that nobody should be left on their own outside a club. People should get together to boycott and protest until such business owners and their bouncers cop on. Just one or two more. I was just in Liverpool for the weekend. We didn't get refused entry once and we were greeted by most doormen. We chatted with some as well. And we didn't see one bit of trouble. Most Cork bouncers, meanwhile, are just on a power trip. And Jane suggests, would you propose perhaps a drunk tent outside every nightclub where lone drunk adults can sit and be supervised by an employee of the premises until they are found or claimed by their friends or a taxi arrives. But what if they get into the taxi alone and pass out and something happens to them? Should that staff in the drunk tent have escorted them home by taxi? Just some questions. The point I'm trying to make is we adults need to take responsibility and equally be accountable for our actions. Lucky that lady was able to make contact with her friends eventually and they all went home safely. Those texts to 0868104106. Take line two, if you don't mind. Abby, good morning. Hello. Something like this or similar to this happened to you some time back. Can you tell us about it? Yes, it was was back in 2012 when I was a first year in college and I was in a nightclub with my friend and I think my drink was actually spiked. Um, And back then I didn't really know about drinks being spiked like I didn't I'd never heard of it yeah. I was only 18 but um, How old? I, had, I was 18 or 19 yeah. I was in first so 18 or 19 and what, what happened you just started to feel woozy 
losing balance, losing concentration, feeling very yeah, sick? Yeah, it, it was very weird. Like, I remember the weirdest thing is I have a completely clear memory of it. So that's how I know, like, it wasn't, I wasn't just drunk because I remember everything, like, clear as day, but I couldn't move. I couldn't um, speak properly or I couldn't walk properly. It affected my my functioning oh of my, my limbs. God. Like, yeah. Um, but I remember everything, like, um, but Did you get separated from your friends or what happened? So I was out with a f- two friends and we went into the Savoy nightclub and I'd had, I think, two drinks before we went in, um, but I was fine, you know, not strong. And we ordered one drink in there at the bar and I did have my drink kind of left at, like, at the bar. I didn't walk away from it or anything, but I turned away from it probably to talk to someone. You of course know. you do that. And yeah. um, then... After that, it, I just remembered I went, I started feeling very woozy and I went to the toilets and I think I kind of passed out in the toilets kind of because it came on very suddenly. And um, then all I remember then is the, the bouncers kind of waking me up and immediately throwing me out of the club. And my friends were still inside. They didn't know where I was um, because I had been drunk. Like, so I, w- I w- they threw me out thinking I was just drunk. Like, and then... I I didn't have my jacket with me. You couldn't, I mean, you couldn't communicate with them? No. Well, I I was trying to save them. I was saying, my friend, I need my jacket, I need my friend. But like I said, it was was difficult to speak, but like I was doing my best. You were doing your best. I mean, even if if I couldn't speak properly or clearly, like I think if they had made any effort at all to kind of, Listen to what I was saying. Like so, so they took there. they took what they thought was a drunk young woman, yeah, and escorted her outside of the premises and left her there. Yeah, and I mean, even like it was, it should have been clear as day that I didn't have like I didn't have a jacket. You know, yeah. I was in bare arms, like, and it. Was so the automatic to, response to it to it was get her off the property. Yeah, not look after her, not put her somewhere, or get her oh, a seat, yeah. or put her in a room, or. A, an area to, to recover or check yeah. that, that she wasn't um, ill. Just get her off the property. Yeah, just get her out. And, um, That's got yeah, to change. I was, I, was never in, I was never in such a scary situation in my life because I knew that my friends inside didn't have a clue where I was. And I didn't have my jacket, so I had no money or no phone. I was breathing. <laughs> so I remember in my head um, thinking... Like, I, what, what do I do? Like, I'm in a bad situation. And I remember thinking I should try and get to my friend's house. So my best friend, she lived up in Victoria Cross, which is not that near the Savoy, you know. It's a bit of a walk, considering I was struggling to function, you know. Yeah. But anyway, I managed to try and... I, tr- I started trying to walk towards that direction. Like, so I got across Oliver Plunkett Street, and I was on, um, I think one of the streets connecting Oliver Plunkett to South Mount. Were you like, were you struck, holding the wall kind of thing? Yeah, I was. I was leaning against the wall. What at time? One point I was crawling. I managed to get up. At, what but time? I was, I was, oh, I'd say it was probably 11. So at 11, 11 o'clock, um, you yeah. ended up on the ground crawling on all fours. Yeah, and I, I was trying to get, I, I got up, I managed to get up again, but I was kind of crawling, leaning on the wall and just trying to get to my friend's house at any cost because I didn't, you know, I didn't know what to do. Okay. And these two women that were walking past kind of saw me and they they could say I need help. 
So they came over and they were trying to see could they call someone for me. So then I started trying to tell them my, my dad's phone number to see could they ring him for me. Um, and then as that was happening, a friend of mine was walking past and um, he came, he recognised me and he came over and he said, like, are you okay? And the two women then just kind of let, let me go with him. He said, I'll take her to her friend's house. And he did then. He, he brought me over to my friend's house and I was fine then, thank God. Good God. I mean, like on so many levels, that's really bad, including even in, even in one of the most simplistic levels. They, 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 they were throwing you out, right? They were getting you off the property. Even though you were telling them, okay, but I have a coat and I have a bag. They weren't even interested in that part of the story, you know? Just no, get... and like, I, I guess from their perspective, I was just a drunk person, but at the same time... But like, even, like... even if that were the case, <laughs> your bag, you know, your personal effects, your coat. Like, you didn't, haven't broken any laws. Even if you had too much to drink, it's still not a way to behave on their behalf, you know? And anyway, the, you can't have a policy where you're allowing people who are either very drunk or clearly you were very close to unconsciousness from whatever was put in your drink to be just thrown yeah. out onto the streets. Yeah. I mean, somebody could have come along and said, I'll take you home. And, well, and God I mean, only knows I'm what could have happened. That was probably the plan of whoever spiked my drink in the first place. Now, I don't, like, luckily, I didn't come across that person. They were probably still in the nightclub. Um, but... I suppose, like, I don't know how the bouncers are supposed to tell the difference between somebody drunk and somebody whose drink has been spiked, but at the, in either situation, they shouldn't be throwing girls out onto the street. No, or, 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 or boys, um, who also could or be boys. subject to attack or, or robbery or assault. Yeah. But you see, um, whether it's somebody who's drunk or sober, you still have a... I mean, firstly, you've gave, you sold them to drink on your premises. So if they're drunk, there's yeah. a good chance they got drunk on your watch. So you have a responsibility to them anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know? But I think, that, like, the very least that they could do would, would be to get my jacket for me, you know? <sighs> I agree. Like, at the very least, yeah. The very <laughs> at least. the very least. Like, I was very lucky that night. I know I was. I was very lucky that, you know, that I ran into someone that I knew and trusted. You, you know? must have been upset like, for a long time afterwards by it, were you? Do you know, in, in the immediate afterwards, I was just kind of very confused because I didn't really, I hadn't heard about getting spiked you know so I thought that I'd just gotten drunk so I remember kind of puzzling over it being like how did I get that drunk from three drinks and it was only kind of later so I was very young like I was only 18 or 19 I, don't, I, I know what you're saying but even, you know, even if it was alcohol and not being spiked you believe you were spiked but if it was oh, just do, alcohol yeah. it makes no difference as to how they must look after their clientele you just you can't be just throwing people out on the street whether they've been spiked or drunk you just can't but it was just when I saw that um, story about it happening only the other day yeah. that I just thought it was crazy because I think the young girls now are far more aware than I would have been back in 2012. Yeah. And I, I think everybody is far more aware now. So I was just shocked to hear that the bouncers are acting the same way that That's they were a decade ago. Very little seems to have changed, I know. Thanks, Abby. <laughs> Mind yourself. Thanks for taking the call. Thank you. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 86 Red FM. Okay, I uh, mentioned earlier on this morning about the price of everything and the front page in the sun this morning is that uh, the price of a pint, they're, they're honing in on a pint of stout is going to go up by, by 20 cent and they're figuring that the average price of a, a jar will hit 
uh, five euro thirty. Now, in areas like Dublin and parts of Cork, there's no surprise you could be paying that anyway. But they're talking about uh, going across the country, and of course, we then we got problems within tourism and hospitality with regards to workers and the cost of raw materials. Now, raw materials, not just food has gone up in price, but everything to do with construction as well is constantly up. In fact, people building houses now and putting on different, um, um, you know, moving from phase to phase, they don't actually know what price to put on them anymore because the cost of labour and the cost of parts and, you know, concrete and timber and everything is constantly going upwards. So, um, you're going to feel it though, and you probably have already with regards to, say, for instance, utility bills. I mean, the cost of petrol or the cost of diesel or indeed home heating oil. But you may or may not be aware that everything's gone up in price. And Connor Pope has drilled into this um, has broken it right down into the cost of everything and the increase in the cost of everything. In fact, I think he's going to be presenting a new television show very soon on RTE called The Price of Everything and he joins me by phone. Connor, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. Uh, it, it doesn't make for happy reading though because you, you literally break it down to a supermarket shop even. You know, the, yeah, the basics, yeah. the staples. So pick up on that. Well, yeah, no, and as, as your intro pointed out, it's a pretty grim picture that, uh, that that you paint, and it's the reality for an awful lot of people, and it's going to be the reality for at least the next twelve months. I would and imagine. why is that? And, why? Well, I mean, there's multiple different factors at play, but I think the thing that's driving price increases more than anything else are global energy prices, and they have just gone through the roof over over recent months. And there's multiple reasons for that. Supply issues, demand has really spiked in Asia, it's spiked in the United States. Then you have tensions in, in, in Eastern Europe between Russia and the Ukraine, and then spilling into the European Union. And so all of these things are feeding uh, a, a price spike of fossil fuels. Yeah. And that, that means that we're paying absolutely through the nose for these things. So we can talk about the supermarket shop in a second, but just very briefly on the utilities, because I know you've talked about it on the show before, yes. and the reason why it probably matters more now than, 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 than before is that it's all well and good to talk about a 22 or 27 or 35% price increase, but when you're talking in percentage terms, it doesn't really mean anything to any of us. Like, you know, going, oh, that sounds dear, is probably what we'd all think. But it's only today and last week that the utility bills for November and December, or December and January, have been landing on people's uh, uh, doorsteps. Are Some shocks, the they were, yeah, the and November, December bill. Like, it's, a, it's horrendous. And over the course of the next year, most Irish households will see their utility bills, the cost of their utility bills, climbing by about six or seven hundred euros. And some people will see their utility bills climbing by in excess of a thousand euros. Now, that's a thousand euros net, which means that to make that payment, most people will have to earn two grand. Oh my God. Now, and that's only the starting point. And now you also mentioned fuel prices on the forecourts. The average price of a litre of petrol or diesel has gone up by around 40 cents over the last 12 months. That's going to cost the average motorist who does around 16,000 kilometres a year around five or 600 euros more this year compared to last year. Okay. And then you talk about food. And as I say, the, the, the CSO's inflation figures are put at 5.5%. And again, those percentages can be kind of misleading because yeah. you get a bit of comfort thinking, oh, 5.5%, that's not too bad. But a lot of the, the inflationary pressures is on food. And that's because of the high energy prices. It's because of supply chain issues as a result of Brexit. It's because of COVID. Um, and it's because of increased demand. And that's pushing up the prices. So even if you take three staples that virtually all of your listeners will buy every single week. And I'm talking about milk, bread, 
Now, even if a typical family of four, just to pick the kind of the, 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 the standard measure of these things, and if you have 10 litres of milk, if you have two sliced pans, and if you have a pound of butter, if you go through just that, that's 100 euros more. That's going to be 100 euros more expensive next year compared to, the, compared to last year. And if you just add 15 euros a week onto the cost of your big shop, onto, onto, onto the cost of your grocery shopping, that's 780 euros. You're going to be paying more next year, or in 2022 compared to 2021. So if you take those three areas, the, the utility charges, uh, the petrol, char- petrol or diesel charges, and, th- and your grocery shopping, you're two grand worse off. But that's only the starting point, because as you say, there's higher rent, there's higher costs for the telecommunications and for streaming services. And it really is going to put an awful lot of people to the pin of their collar. And we're just coming out of the pandemic. So, um, and that was the focus for all of us. So it's looking, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's looking, this is going to be the focus. It's looking at the, sorry for interrupting, I just want to understand sorry, the point you're, you're talking about. Because you, 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 you say, yeah, you, people don't really take it all that seriously. Oh, yeah, 1% here and 3% there. But it's like a death by a thousand cuts. Because you were saying in your, your Irish Times article that when you tot everything up in real terms, is this accurate? That people, just to stay ahead of the, you know, you talk about bread and, and milk and tea and yeah. butter and chicken and stuff like that, and fuel, that people who need to earn, to earn 4,000 euro just to cover the increases alone in 2022. And that's actually, would you believe, a conservative estimate? Um, And, and and, you know, what we're not seeing is we're not seeing wage inflation. That might come down later on, you know, but but we're not seeing that now. So that's like, and and the thing is, this stuff impacts people who are on lower incomes disproportionately compared to people who are on higher incomes. Because if you're earning 250,000 euros a year, and you have to find 4,000 4, euros extra, you're grand. It's not going to be a big problem. But if you're You have a much 40, more disposable income, correct. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But if, you ha- if you're earning 40,000 euros a year, suddenly you need, you need to find an additional 10% of your annual income. And the best they can come up with then is giving us a 100 euro SOP credit of yeah. utility bills. Yeah, and actually, in a way, and I don't often say this, I have a bit of sympathy for the government because that was probably a well-intentioned move. They said, oh, my God, energy prices are going to go up. Let's give somebody a cash rebate. Let's give everyone a cash rebate. But then you drill down through the numbers and you say, oh, brilliant, you're giving me 100 quid. Now, that's not going to make much difference when my energy bill has gone up by 700 quid. I mean, it's better than a slap in the face, but, you know, it's it's not going to keep... Uh, the, the, the show on the road for most people. But they take so an what, awful lot in VAT and excise duties for different things. Why aren't they just saying, okay, people are struggling. Somebody on a 40,000 euro salary now has to find four grand just to stay ahead of last year. I mean, wh- why aren't they helping more? And what they are doing is we see more increases. You talk in the Irish Times of, did you say that, that there's fines increase now for cars parking on footpaths? And, yeah. Yeah. and the public car parks in Cork City have also just got, so everything goes up. Nothing comes down. Yeah. No, and I, and I mean, I, I think you're probably channeling the understandable rage and frustration that an awful lot of your listeners feel, because that's exactly it. And now, today in the, on the front of the Irish Times, and, and, and on the front of other newspapers, there, there's, a, there's a story about how the government is planning, or at least looking at other steps it can take to try and offset what's going to be the year of the big squeeze for, for, for a lot of people. Um, and... You know, it, it, but you know, their hands are going to be tied a little bit. And it, it's, it, it is also worth pointing out, Neil, that this isn't a problem that's unique to Ireland. 
In in the UK, for instance, fuel prices, energy prices have gone up by 50%. Yeah. Uh, in, in the United States, inflation is running at more than 7%. So it's, and Germany, and you know, the Germans are te- tend to be fiscally responsible and very kind of steady as you go. And that's not, that's not a racial stereotype. That's just how it's been for the last 40 years. Like their inflation rate is running at 5.3%. So there's nobody so trying it on here, like the supermarkets, that, the, the petrol stations. You know, also people tell me that takeaway coffees and teas and fast food and restaurants have all put their prices up. They're not trying yeah. it on, no? No. And I think that's, a, I'm really glad you mentioned that because there have been times in the past, and we've probably talked about it on the show, when you'd be really critical of all of these people going, ah, lads, come on, like you're just gouging us here. Yeah. But that's not really happening in this instance, at least not yet. I'm not saying that it's never going to happen and I'm not saying that there aren't some people who might be trying to, to exploit the situation for their own uh, be- benefit. Um, but uh, you know, so, but it's, it's just a global problem. And that's why, and I know you mentioned the, 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 the new RTE series that, that's coming down the tracks. And it's, it, like, I, I actually, it, it, there's a great team behind it and I'm only a small cog yes. in the wheel. Yeah. Of that you're looking for participants, program. I believe, for the price of everything. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Now, the, the, the program is called The Price of Everything, which I think is wonderfully self-explanatory because <laughs> it, 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 it does exactly you're the man for it yeah 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 um, and, 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 and what we're what we're going to do over a six-part program is we're going to focus on some key areas that really matter to people so you know one of the programs might be about energy costs and your utility bills and your fuel bills and how to keep your car on the road or another another program is going to be out about, about insurance health insurance car insurance home insurance all of these things that people have People are spending big money on. And the idea of the program is not just to go, oh my God, isn't it all terrible? Everything is just terrible. The idea is to try and come up with solutions for people yeah. so that somebody will watch it for 24 minutes or 27 minutes or whatever it might be, and they will be at least in some degree empowered to do something to impact, to do to, to uh, diminish the impact of all of these prices. And I, I, and that's one of the things that we've been doing in the Irish Times for a long time. And I know you talk about it as well. Uh, like, it's not sufficient to just say things are bad. You have to say things are bad. Here's something that we can do to make it better. And what's and it going to take for things to drop back down again, whether it's the weekly shop or the petrol or the diesel? What's that going well, to be? Well, I mean, in terms of the, the, the big picture, what... what and I've spoken to a lot of experts about this. In terms of the big picture, you're going to need to see a softening of energy prices. You're going to need to see an easing of demand for certain products. And, you know, everyone is kind of optimistic, maybe not as optimistic today as they were last week or three weeks ago, that things will, will, will sort themselves out uh, over the next few, uh, month. But there are ind- things that individuals can do. And we've talked about this to a blue in the face. Uh, Neil, shopping around for your utilities can make big savings, even in an era of climbing prices. Because even though every single company is increasing their prices by 10, 20, 30 percent, they're also offering substantial discounts to new customers. How can they do that? That's like a loyalty tax on a loyal customer. They give new business a discount and they don't reward the people who are with them for years. 100%. 100%. It's, it's, it's not fair, but it's the nature of business, and that's how they all operate. So we can either rail against it and say, that's just really unfair, or we can exploit the situation for our benefit. And the way you exploit the situation for your benefit is by shopping around. Shop around. So you take, you take the utilities, you can, you can switch from company A to company B and save yourself five, six, seven hundred euros at the stroke of a pen. You, you, you shop around for health insurance, and you can save yourself hundreds of euros while also increasing the level of 
cover that you have. So you increase the level of protection you have should you fall ill, yeah. but you pay less for it. Yeah. And that's the essence of this programme, Price of Everything. Yeah, it's just, just like one point there where you mentioned, um, yeah. because like, I know about energy bills and increases and everything, and, and I was very conscious of that, and I was wondering, well, is there any way that I could reduce the cost of electricity and gas in my own house? So I heard that there was grants available from the government to help to insulate uh, your home. So I went on yeah. and looking at that, and, and I'm open to correction on this, and no disrespect to those that can get it, but apparently I and other people who work are not entitled to the grant because you need to be in receipt of social welfare payments. I mean, why? Now, there, is that there right? Is, there is, no, there is. There, so even there when is, you try, I, you can't get help? No, there are grants available to people who are on social welfare for, for certain things. And, and there, there are also be. grants available. Exactly. But there are also uh, gra- grants available from the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland for people who are upgrading their houses, maybe putting in, you know, better insulation or solar panels or whatever it might be. But the thing, but the, and, and that's certainly a part of the jigsaw puzzle. But, you know, not everybody can say, oh, do you know what? I'm going to spend 20 grand on getting my house upgraded so that it perfectly insulated and then if they do that they might get 5,000 euros actually back they can't the find 15 grand yeah I know yeah but it's so like it, it is really hard for people so it's the idea is that you know and, and I think this is something that like it, it, it's, it's something that I've been doing for a long time you have to offer people realistic and reasonable solutions that that really can impact and help everybody because you know you, you want to make sure that you're getting the best value for money and this is not about being cheap it's not about being mean it's just about saying lads if I can get energy if I can get my electricity from company A instead of company B and, and pay less and pay, pay 500 euros less and unlike switching cornflakes or unlike switching cola drinks to pick two pretty obvious examples that I think most of your listeners will know what I'm talking about yeah. you're not there's no difference in the quality between the electricity offered by Electric Correct. Ireland and yeah. Borgash Energy. Yeah. I've never in my life heard someone say, oh, geez, I'm getting great electricity from Borgash Energy. <laughs> they, might say I'm getting great, they might say I'm getting great broadband, but they won't say I'm and getting great gas. That's a really gas. good point, yeah. because there is, there yeah. is a difference in the broadband quality. So can I, can I tell people how to get in touch with Yeah, the finally. So if people want to be part of it, what should they do? When is it airing? Well, it's going to be airing in, ideally, the best. it'll be starting next month, uh, but we'd like to hear from people today and tomorrow and the next day because the more people we hear from the better the program is going to be okay. so people can get in touch with the program and again this I, I, I'm just part of the program so they can get in touch with the program by emailing price at indiepix.ie that's I-N-D-I-E P-I-C-S price at indiepix.ie or they can call a Dublin telephone number which is 01-708-8183 okay so price at indiepix I-N-D-I-P-I-C no, I-N-D-I-E. I-E, Indy as an independent, yeah. Okay, uh, price at indiepix.ie. Who would a typical punter be then? Well, anybody, that's the whole point. Because we're, and to, to borrow a phrase from the pandemic, we're all in this together. <laughs> Everybody is in this, <laughs> you know. And, this, and I, I hate to use the phrase, Neil, but that is the reality of this. We're all facing the price increases. So if you're struggling to pay your health insurance and you're thinking, I wonder if I get better value for money, or if you're wondering how I can do any, what I can do to offset the horrendous costs in the, in the, in the price of energy. Mm. Um, and there's, there are other themes and other topics in the program, like housing, like, child, like child, looking after children, all of those things. So it's not just about those two things, but like the, you know, the, I think the easiest things to talk about are like food shopping, That's right. utility. Yeah, we all didn't of even talk things. about the price and the increase of a stamp. Don't even start. There. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> Gone up from 110 to 125. God's sake, will it ever end? I'm going to be watching, that's for sure. So, the show is called The Price of Things. People who want to get the in price touch. Price of everything. Price of everything. People who want to be in t- involved in it. Price at IndiePix.ie. That's the email address. Listen, it's great to chat with you. We might chat again soon. You never know, Connor. but thanks sure. for taking Absolutely. the call Always now. good to be on the show. Take, Take care, care. Connor Pope, Consumer Affairs Correspondent with the Irish Times. If you want to be part of the show, price at indie, I-N-D-I-E, picks dot I-E. Uh, there's a Dublin number, 0170881183. And good luck with that. Um, it'll be airing on RTE. Back after the break. Neil's got a new number. Call him now on 0818104106. We are talking earlier in the week about motorists who reverse out into moving traffic and we were also talking was Dan actually himself a, a taxi driver never had a claim in like 45 years driving he was always talking about cyclists what is it with Simon Cowell he's after having another uh, smash on his e-bike and it's only 18 months since he came a cropper and broke his back on his electric bike apparently now they're reporting that he's had another accident on the e-bike and yesterday he was pictured with a broken arm apparently he tumbled again uh, off the bike I think that maybe that bike's just too powerful for him I just think that may be the case but with regards to cars and motorbikes and pedestrians and cyclists Paddy says if a motorbike and cars have to have daytime running lights then surely a cyclist should also have to have lights fitted to their bike and have them on constantly uh, Sarah says with regards to reversing onto main roads I see it all the time in Glanton just outside Fitzpatrick's you drive in and people reverse out onto the main road. I mean, that's suicidal stuff. Just to echo the concerns that a taxi driver had regarding cyclists, I've seen a lot of delivery drivers on bicycles without lights and typically wearing no high visibility clothing whatsoever. These are the delivery cyclists. I made a point of stopping my car recently and spoke to a delivery driver and told him how difficult it was to see him and the danger that he posed to himself and to others. He was on footpaths, on the road, he was a hazard to pedestrians and motorists. Well, he just shrugged his shoulders flippantly. It's really irresponsible and we need to have laws that protect everyone from serious injury and also from the financial impact of a crash with any of these stupid cyclists. If they are the cause of an accident, then they should have to pay the costs of all involved. On that note, there should be a requirement for bicycle insurance and it should be the law. I believe, if I remember correctly, the Greens ruled that out, but I'm open to correction on that one. Anyway, text 0868104106. Back to the phone lines we go. John, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Th- thanks for holding. We're just picking up on, um, you know, issues involving nightclubs and people being yeah. outside and not yeah. being in or being thrown out or put outside. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah, well, I think um, there's a whole new scenario here now. Um, and, I mean, seeing um, the desperate and tragic situations that um, the violence towards women, you know, have had, you know. And three more incidents, of course, in the in less than a yeah. week. One of them here on the side. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you think after Ashley Murphy's murder that this wouldn't happen, but it seems to be the opposite, you know. Um, and, well, I think anyway, in nightclubs, um, first of all, um, the, resp- the nightclubs have a responsibility to people that are affected by the products that they sell alcohol, right? And yeah, by, you're drinking it drink on the premises. Yeah, you're paying for it on the yeah. premises, right. Okay. And if a drink is spiked on their premises, then it's their responsibility to actually oversee, you know, and supervise, you know, this sort of stuff. Now, as far as bonuses are concerned, um, I would say that from now on, a woman, or a man for that matter as well, I think uh, a woman on her own should never be thrown out of a nightclub. 
you know, never, ever. It should be against the law to actually throw out. And what I would suggest to the clubs is that they take responsibility for their own uh, business. And they, <clears throat> if, if somebody is badly affected, disorientated or, you know, in trouble in the club, that they set up, they have a first aid room all on its own, allocated to people that need help. I wonder if there are places in the world where they actually have that. I mean, would any of the clubs in the Mediterranean have that? Ibiza and MAGA and places, I don't know, New York? I don't know. I've never been to Ibiza. No, but you know what I mean. Are are there countries ahead of the game, ahead of us on this? That I don't know. But I mean, I think now, here's the chance, you know, when public opinion is, you know, totally, probably appalled at what's happening, that a woman out... Um, for a jog can be murdered and raped, you know. I mean, I think, I mean, it's ten times worse if a woman is is thrown out of a nightclub on the street in Cork uh, in a disoriented state. She's she's only waiting for a predator to, you know, it's like, you know. Well, there's that, but she could also, or he could also fall, hit their head. He or she could also be hit by a car trying to get across. Yeah, absolutely. I see a woman, I I, I mean, I saw somebody there a few weeks ago, you know, and just taking both sides of the footpad. I mean, it's, it's horrible. It's, it's, I was I'm sorry for her, you know, she was in such a state all alone, just down the Washington Street, you know. I mean, it's, it's dreadful, you know. Yeah, it could have been one of those cases that we're talking about where they couldn't get back into yeah. the club or whatever the case may be. But it shouldn't yeah. have to be a law, really, sure, shouldn't it? It should be cop on, like a respect for people. Yeah, well, you see, the like, like, how can you say, okay, come on in and drink your loaf off, and when you've had too much, we'll throw you out? That's really yeah, what's yeah. being said here. Yeah, well, the bouncers are alone to themselves, but they just grab you and fling you out, you know. They don't care. And I mean, listen, remember what happened to the mining boy, you know, years ago? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you know. Yeah, I know. What I mean, this is where they're at, you know. This is the way they, this is the mentality they have. I mean, they, they, they are, a lot of them are, you know, bouncers there, martial arts people or ex-boxers or heavyweight. But are, all you know? of that's changed and, uh, now. There's training and licensing and they're attached to different security companies, you know. It's, <laughs> it's supposed to be a lot more professional in that way. Neil, I don't believe a word of it. Not a word of that, you know. Because in the heat at the moment, you know, they just want somebody, you know, they want the problem solved. And what do they do? They just grab them and take them out and throw them outside the door, you know? I mean, even if you're going in, they, sometimes they just a bouncer can actually, you know, just look at somebody and say, yeah, I don't like to look at him, you know? No, you can't come in tonight, you know? I mean, total discrimination, you know? Um now that's a different area, you know. Yeah, I'm going sta- into something different there. Yeah, door staff have to women. make a call. No, and and I think sometimes they make the wrong call. But you know, mm. they're some, they are cute enough to know that they're gonna, not going to let that guy in because he caused trouble before, you know, and he he kick off inside in the club. Now it's a different ballgame right, if they just yeah. if they just don't think the guy is good looking enough, or they don't. Yeah, remember yeah. the days when yeah. jeans and runners weren't allowed. All of those kind of things, tra- track suits and yeah. things, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's how, t- how things, how times have changed. They totally know? changed I now. Mean, it's, I mean, it's I, all I, runners and naked at the door now, and they take him in. You know, I just make the money up. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard of a naked nightclub on Lee Side yet, but well, you never know. There's a lot of people around queuing up. I see a lot of, and I'm sorry to say, but women who are near naked. You know. Well, um, anyway. No, that's no you see, story. that I get to be in my bonnet about that. That's fashion, and that's expression. <laughs> that's the they're expressing. Yeah their own style they need to be able to wear what they need to be don't they people need to be able to wear whatever they want it doesn't make them doesn't put a target on their back yeah I'm 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 not going to go there they just might be they (laughs) just might be a little colder than the rest of us but it's what it's how they want to express themselves 
Yeah, yeah. Listen, I'm saying basically that the clubs have a, a responsibility. These people that are in the club, uh, in, in the nightclub, I mean, if they're in serious trouble like that, the first thing they have to do is be isolated from the crowd, not everybody watching them say, oh, look at her, you know? And, and, and they, she, they have to be taken into a room, uh, uh, isolated from the crowd. Well, and they're, given, they're vulnerable, yeah. yeah, yeah. Given the time, I mean, in actual fact, I think that the clubs should have a first aid station in place they should have a nurse and call. They should have a, uh, be able to, to ring a taxi for the person to take them that, home. That does that, happen. That, There's a, a senior medic at CUH whose name I can't remember now, but um, he is involved certainly in West Cork with a rapid response yeah. group where they do go to nightclubs. I don't know whether it happens in yeah. the city, but in West yeah. Cork they do go to nightclubs and they do yeah. have first aid and they have trained medics. Um, yeah, and also yeah, yeah. Is, is it is it Jason? Thank you, Emer. It's Jason Vandervelt. He's he's the senior paramedic at the at the A and E and the CUH. Yeah, so okay. he does incredible work. Yeah. But you know that's yeah. off their own. But you're saying that club owners who make pretty good money anyway should be picking yeah. up the tab yeah. for this. I mean, I just saw um, I just saw during the week there a picture of the newly revamped nightclub on Washington Street and the amount of money that's been put into it, you know. Which one's that? Sure is that Reardon's? Oh, yeah, they put, in, a, they put yeah. in a new pub yeah. or a new club like, part of it. It looks like the, the Titanic. Uh, the it looks fabulous. Titanic. Yeah. Fantastic, yeah. 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 I mean, it's fantastic. And But I'm saying basically that if, if, the, if this, they have to take responsibility and okay. they have to show respect. I would say respect. Everybody's talking about respect, you know. Yeah. And one of the ways they can do this is actually have these facilities, you know, or somebody or a, a room where instead of, the, if they're talking about the street, I think they should be, it's actually reckless, you know, and it's endangering the lives of women and men, you know. Good man. Thank if, you, John. If they're in that state, okay? Thanks very much. Much obliged. Thanks for your text. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Uh, a lot of families and parents were opinionated with regards to uh, earlier in the week when John was talking about the systems in Ireland being open to abuse and including, um, you know, the grants available or the payments available to parents with uh, children with special needs. And the point that he was making was that sometimes they get false diagnoses just for money. Uh, my three children have additional needs. My oldest is autistic and has always been in mainstream. This does not mean that he is less, he is any less need than my other son who's in a unit. If anything, he actually is hardest to deal with at home. It means he masks things better and hides it in public, but explodes at home in his safe space. Most people would not know he has autism, but we do. I'm not scamming the system because he's in mainstream or has no service provider. He spent years doing social classes so that he could make friends and hold a conversation and was in time moved to the public list instead of a service provider. I have to go to four different shops to get food for him every week. He doesn't eat dinner unless we buy uh, buy him takeaway because of his severe food disorder. He won't try new food. He can't even be in the kitchen while I'm cooking because of his sensory issues. We can't have family days out because of him. He can't travel in a car without getting sick. But yet people will think that I'm scamming because he comes across like any other 13-year-old, says Rebecca. So a lot of people push back on this. Uh, morning, there's certainly a group of kids who have been diagnosed under worrying circumstances, says a texter here. I know of a doctor who used to give all his patients the same report and the same diagnosis and who reportedly diagnosed some children with autism over the phone. It is a disservice to children and families with genuine need 
but some families do seek out diagnoses, various types, for financial gain. Uh, another text, I'm shouting at the radio, your man has no idea what he's talking about. How can these little kids act and pretend they're autistic? He has no clue. He obviously doesn't know anyone with autism. Uh, what is John on about? 200 euro a week. Anyone with an autistic child will tell you there's no such payment. Domiciliary is 309 a month, which is anyway a nightmare to even get. Um, and others said similar to that. We do not get the 200 a week, he's suggesting. You can get 300 a care. You can get 300 domiciliary care per month. You get that until the child is 16. And let me say, they put you through the hoops for that alone. The carer's allowance is, me- is means tested and most people just don't qualify. Most mothers are forced out of the workforce force or forced to go part time. And this, of course, is completely cruel and wrong. And just one final one. As a mother of an autistic son myself, John is all off. It's 309 euro a month. Just to clarify, not 200 a week. That's not uh, means tested once your child reaches criteria. I don't even see that money as all of it goes on private speech therapy and occupational therapy. Yes, you're going to have people not using the money for the right thing, but you get that in all walks of life, don't you? I can honestly say between sending my son to all of his therapies and the Rainbow Club, etc., I do not see that money. It only goes some way to cover. And there's reams more of those and lots more besides. We'll pick it up after 11. You can text 086-8104-106. I think it's enlightening, actually, what Conor Pope was saying about the cost of things. When you hear people talk of a percentage here and a percentage there, it doesn't seem to have the same impact until you actually drill into how much you will have to earn more this year just to pay for things um, on the basis of what it was last year. So it's going to be €4,000 gross more per year that the average home will have to um, put aside. So that's 4,000 more than you were paying last year when you drill into utilities, bread, butter, milk, chicken, the staples that you buy in a supermarket and everything else. You need to be earning four grand gross a year more. So pick up on that and lots more besides. New year, new number for Neil. 0818-104-106. Ah, uh, yeah, we're rocking now. Um, it's an interesting one. I was talking with Finbar O'Connor this morning about burials and protocols and the old traditions regarding, um, you know, funerals and the cortege going through town and people coming out or closing shop doors and whatever. I still find my, I still bless myself when I see a, uh, and it's fine. I'm no problem with it. It's just what I do. It's one of those traditions you pick up as a kid. Maybe as an altar boy, you know, the way it is. Uh, love to listen to your show every morning. Each morning as I listen, I'm hoping someone would actually make, bring up the topic of cremations. When you are buried, your family and friends can visit your grave. But when a person is cremated, the urn is usually kept in the home where the deceased lived, unable for some friends to ever visit them. Like I would like to visit friends' graves. Why don't the council build a wall with space for the urns? I know there's one in Cork and Chetwind, but in St. Catherine's Kilcully, there aren't any. I think this would be a great idea, and the council would make money also. I don't intend to die anytime soon, even though it's out of my hands, but I, as I intend to be cremated, I would like to think that I would be remembered by people passing the wall with the urns. I wonder, has there been any talk of this? I'm just asking, because you seem to know a lot of things. Well, <laughs> it's not usually me that knows a lot of things, but there's an awful lot of people listen who know a lot of things. So thank you for that, Mary. And I hope you have a long and, and happy life. And, you know, it won't be your problem when you're gone. But I imagine there are a few different things. Like, firstly, Finbar was saying this morning, 
that what people do is they um, it could be just the amount of people in the in the grave already and there's a limit on the amount of people that can you know coffins can be put into a grave but not a limit on the amount of urns so he's, he was saying this morning that sometimes the urn goes into the family grave where other coffins have been already of course more people then like to have some people actually I don't want to sound macabre at this hour of the morning but some people would sprinkle or scatter some of the ashes and keep others or might even share the ashes around with family members um, others then would completely scatter the ashes where that loved one loved to be or, you know, or felt close um, and they kept it at home. But I, I do understand the point that you're making that, you know, somebody, because I've had friends who have, have died and, um, and, and were cremated. Um, and, I, and I suppose if I'm to be honest, uh, I have a buddy who, who died and is buried in, in, in Trim in, in County, in County Meath. So from time to time, um, I would go, it is Meath, isn't it Trim? No, Tipperary, actually, sorry. So from time to time, if I'm ever in that neck of the woods, I would, get off the, the motorway and drive into Trim and, and visit his grave. But I have other friends then, of course, who have passed away that were cremated and th- there is nowhere to go. And I suppose you just have to use your head and your emotions and think of them yourself then and try and have happy memories of them. But nowhere actually physically to go to, to pay your respects. So I understand what you're saying in that regard. Text 0868104106 for all of the business. Teresa, thank you so much for holding. Good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well, thanks. thanks. Not at all. It's my pleasure because you? you're looking for some help with regards to, um, it's not a missing person, but you're, you're searching uh, for your, your yeah. mum's brother, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. yeah. My uncle. Your uncle. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, my grandmother had him. He was born. What we know. Just move around a tiny bit there, Teresa, so I get a clearer line because we are. Sorry now. Yeah. We're going okay, to be dealing with dates here going back to 19, the 1920s, isn't it? Yes, the births are, the birth records that we have found. Is, we're hoping it's more than likely them. Um, born in Cork in 1928. Now he was taken away from her straight away. So that's all we know. We have. Um, when so you say born, where was he born? Do you know? Uh, on the record, it says in in the county hospital in Mallow. The county hospital in Mallow. Um, yes. What, 1927, 1928, you're not sure which... 1928, no, 1928, on the 22nd of May, 1928. So were he, were he to be alive, he'd be uh, ni- In his 95 anyway, wouldn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he was born um, at the county hospital in Mallow in 1928. Um, 1928, yeah. Yeah, uh, and that would have been to your granny? My grandmother, yes. Okay, okay. Yeah. And where are the family from? Well, see, my grandma's originally from Galway, but of course, when she got pregnant, of course, she left and headed to Cork because she wasn't allowed to keep the baby, so she headed off, and she ended up in Cork. Did she come to Cork wanting to give birth and to keep her son? Um, No, I don't think so. She wasn't allowed, back then, many years ago, she wasn't allowed, the family said she wasn't allowed to keep him. Okay, so did they they organise for her to go to Mallow, or did she strike off on her own? this is what we don't know because she wasn't spoken about until it was too late when she was on her deathbed to my uncle. And of course, my uncle didn't take, you know, take much notice of what she was saying. You know, that she had a son and that he was given up for adoption and that she had him in Cork. So, um, Her own brother like, didn't know, is that what you're saying? Her, her son. Her, her son. son, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so he only came to light many years later. And of course, men... You know, they didn't take, oh God, think, oh God, we better see, can we find them? You know, it's only years later. That's why I'm searching. I've been searching for the last couple of years. And my cousin was searching over 20 years ago as well. And 
She couldn't find anything. So your uncle, you know. your mother's brother, brother was yes. born in Mallow, 1928, 28. to Teresa Keeley. Yes, on the 22nd of May. Do you know after she gave birth to her son, did she go back to Galway? No, no, she never went back. She stayed in Cork and that's where she met my grandfather. Did she stay in Cork all on her own? Yeah, she's isn't nobody. That, isn't she that tragic? Yeah, she said. left Galway. It's, yeah, see, back then, I suppose, she, was, she would have been about 24 when she got pregnant. So she headed off to Galway. Or she headed off to Cork. Cork. Oh my God, yeah, isn't that so... I know. Many people have stories like that. They really do, of, yeah. of young girls who... Sad. Who travel the length you of know. the country or from county to county to give birth because their own community well, there was shame wasn't there shame you see back then you can imagine you know so but I mean, how, how she did it i don't know how was the rest of her life Teresa keely's do you know uh, i'm afraid it affected her mind a great deal um, you know always one wondering about him you know did she settle down, have children, get married? Actually, she did. She met my grandfather and uh, she ended up having nine more children. One is my mother. Uh, one has deceased since couple, about two years ago, mm. two, three years ago. Mm. So if he's still alive... It'd be her old, your mam's older brother. Your mam would be in her 80s, wouldn't she? My mom actually, she's 80, she'll be 88 in March. So all the rest are younger then. Okay. Nine of them down. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. they'd love... They'd love to know, is he still alive or if he's not, did he have family? And when, you did, your, when did your granny die? Uh, she died in um, 1987. 87. And it was close yeah. to death that she shared the story of her first son. Yeah. 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 Okay. That she had a boy and that she couldn't keep him. I know. I know. And she, how have you done with regards to um, births, marriages, well, deaths... Um, paperwork and yeah. the paper trail I contacted uh, Tulsa they couldn't find anything I contacted adoption agency in Cork there's no trace of an adoption so this is where we're hoping is there no okay. paperwork of a birth in 1928 to Teresa Keeley a son in Mallow uh, this is now this is how I found through, actually it wasn't through Tulsa or the adoption agency no it wouldn't be the adoption agency it was Tulsa they couldn't find a record but I was put in contact with a, a lovely man. Uh, I don't know what I can mention. Donald O'Keefe. He he he's a would you say a reporter? I don't know. But okay. he was able through a friend. He was able to find me this record, this birth record, in the general office in Dublin. And I mean, I'm so thankful for him. What does it I say? Just, um, it states this: uh, Baby John, born to born on the 22nd of May, 1928. Um, mother. Teresa Keeley, formerly Buttervent. So this is where she must have went first to Buttervent. Yes, yes. Which, is out, which I looked up, which is outside Mallow. That's a birth um, search you're reading now, is it? Yeah, a birth, a birth record. Birth yeah. record, record of birth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So maybe if he had family, if he, if he was boarded out back then, which would happen, which would happen, you know, because there's no, he couldn't find, that man couldn't find any adoption record for me. Um, and, and Dr. James Cork couldn't find anything. So we're hoping if he was boarded out, you know, that maybe did he stay? Did he, could, he, could he have been living his life in Cork all these years and we not known? Or was he, as I say, illegally adopted back then, which probably could have happened. 
boarded out, is that a term used where families would take a newborn baby and be paid by the state, is it? I'm not too sure about being paid by the state, but did did, uh, take children, you know, say for mother and baby homes. Yeah. Right, and the kids, the parents don't want them or they're left there. Well, families go and the as you say, could adopt these children to work on their farm as yes. laborers. Yes, we heard that in the Besborough yeah. reports, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mother yeah. yeah. and baby home reports. Yeah. 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 You know, I've tried everything. I've tried. Um, my mother, she did uh, Ancestry, and I put it up on this page, Jed Match. Now, Jed Match, uh, you want to be um, a genealogist to work it out because it's so difficult. But even with some of the DNA results, um, they're coming in second to fifth cousins. Now, some people I've contacted in the hope, you know, God, do you have a relative that was adopted, you know, at such and such an age? Um, some okay. people have replied, others yeah. haven't. And some haven't even bothered to put up a, a family tree. So I am at a loss there. But you're so doing this, really okay, you're doing this for all of the family, but particularly for your mother who's, 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 who's keen to find out what happened with her brother. Yeah. yeah. The whole lot of them really are. They'd love to know, you know. And because they're all in the ratings, you know, I said, look here. Well, between myself and my cousin, I've a lovely cousin Tipperary, and she's great. She's helped me as well. So he'd be he'd be baby John. He was christened John. So he'd be baby John. He'd be, he'd be John Keeley, or yeah. or because I now, see a spelling here of Kylie. Which is it? Yes, you see, I was researching all this, and my cousin has great help as well. Down south, um, it's pronounced. It could be pronounced the same way, but spelled differently. Gotcha. Well, down here, K I E L Y is Kylie. I don't know how you'd pronounce that in, in, in Galway. but in, in Galway, yeah. See, if it was Kylie or Keeley, this is what even when I was talking to Tulsa, they said, you know, well, it could be spelled differently. Well, if, he, if he was, if you spent, if you lived his life down here, right, and yeah, you guys yeah. spell your surname K-I-E-L-Y? We spell it K-E-E-L-Y. Oh, well, then he's Keeley. That's all right. I thought, because it says yeah. Kylie here as well. So, you know, he's, he's John Keeley. Born 1928 yeah. to the county hospital in yeah. Mallow. And this is uh, yeah. like a cry for help, if you like that. Does it ring a bell with anybody? Would anybody, yes. It would be fantastic if he did go on to have a family. If somebody knew, you know. Okay. Jesus, I knew, you know. I knew him. Yeah, I yeah, remember yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, you know. As I say, he'd be in it. Now, hopefully, it'd be fantastic if he was still alive. You he'd, know, be 90, he'd be 95. Not, yes, 95. You never know. You never know. You never, you you never, never know. know. You okay. never know. Okay. Well, you know, listen. Because I've gone every other avenue and I, there's nothing coming up for me. You know. It would be lovely if there were someone listening that would be able to help. And if they do it would. and get in touch with me, I'll be back to you directly. It'd be fantastic. Or anybody that could go through that Jed Match page that would know exactly what they're going on about or the DNA, why all that. It's the way it's done. It's just, it's not just straightforward results. You have to nearly go in and see, can you match? It's new to me, Jed Match, is that what you call it? Yes, Jed Match page, yeah, it's all these pages. Yeah, it's great, I have to say, but if if you knew the terminology and how it works, you know, loads of people have found relatives through it, but I'm afraid I can't, or my relatives find it difficult to understand. You see, his surname would have been changed, I suppose, so it's no point looking at the, the census this is not now what we're waiting for. My cousin is great. She said, now we're waiting for this one. I just see. Um, from ado- When I was speaking to the people in adoption, right, they were saying his, his, birth, na- his birth name would have never changed if he was adopted. Oh, right. But so you could mind me maybe was- find, yeah, try and find a John Keeley based on his age and the census of... Yes. Um, 
Was there a census in 1921? I don't think so. Don't think um, so no, because of the emergency. Certain years, yes. So yeah. this year it's due out. 19 or 2022. It's I think it's due out for all you know, so we can look back in all those years. Oh, have a look through the census, particularly for Cork or indeed maybe Tipperary or everywhere for a, for a John. It'll, it'll give his age, yeah. so it'll be a John Keeley and work yeah. out his age according to the census. Yes. You never know. Yeah, a lot of records, yes, and a lot of records aren't made um, uh, public yet. Censuses, you know. yeah. Uh, well, census will be now. I think it's this year. You know, it's so often you have to wait so many years for it to become public, you know, so you get the results. But say like... Um, it's a hundred. It's a hundred years, but yeah, I'm, my I, my understanding is the 1921 census. I don't think it was done because of the troubles, and I don't think there was a census. Oh. It, I think there was another one that didn't happen during the the war, certainly the Second World War. But there will be one stuck in the middle that he'd be in. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe maybe thir- maybe 1931. Right. When he'd be yeah. he'd be thirteen, you know. Yeah, so it's every 100 years, so they'll be coming out this year, so wouldn't it, uh, 2022? I I, yeah, I, yeah, I don't think yeah. there's a census for 1921, and I'm open to correction on that from people who are listening. Right. But listen, if it rings yeah. any bells with anybody, good luck with the search. I Thank will be back to you about John Keeley, Great. born in 1928, the County Hospital Mallow. Okay. Thanks, Teresa. Neil. Thank you very much. All the best. Bye-bye. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at NeilRedFM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And you can text 0868104106. And again, on uh, payments towards the help and the rearing, which would be domiciliary ch- allowance that would be paid to children, well, to the parents of children, um, and the suggestion that sometimes systems are abused. Kieran says, it is an horrendous experience that you go through because you have to basically pick apart your little baby's life and write down what they can't do and all the struggles they have. It's horrible and very depressing, the forms they make us fill in. I'm raging with that gentleman on the air regarding his comments about the system being abused. That's just ridiculous. If he had the experience that we go through every day, he would have a very different view. Please tell him that he needs to educate himself about autism because he clearly hasn't a clue. Thanks, Kieran. I, I appreciate the struggles that you're going through and, you know, the, the horrendous experience you did applying for, for help. I'm not so sure John was having a swipe at genuine cases that genuine need help. He's talking about those that don't but see a loophole in the system that they can exploit for money. Uh, but keep those texts coming. Text 0868-104-106. Okay. Um, going to squeeze in as much as we can between now and midday. Also, Mario Rosenstock is back on side, and he's got five nights at the Opera House. More on that before quitting time this morning if you're a fan. But just ahead of that, Anthony, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. It's been a while. I hope you're well. You just wanted to pick up on some of our more recent... Incidentally, can I just ask you, I'm getting a lot of texts about choppers uh, flying over. It's, yes. What's going on? Is this kind of emergency... I thought it was like tra- those encounters of the third kind or something on midnight on Tuesday night. Was it just on the and Tuesday night? Yes, and it went on from midnight for a half an hour and I never saw a helicopter to fly so low. It actually woke me up. Was it search and rescue, do you think, or something? I think it was search and rescue, but I never heard a helicopter or saw a helicopter okay. fly so low. I wonder, was someone maybe perhaps in the water, maybe in the river or something? Or who knows? Well, I've heard, I don't know whether it's an urban myth or something, that somebody went into the river, a man in his 60s. I don't know whether that's okay. true or not okay. now, but okay. that's just speculation I heard, but... Other people did. I have a friend in Blarney Street and she was woken up as well. It was just 
the noise was just ferocious. Because okay. okay. yeah, I saw I some texts. Is this a helicopter going to crash or something? It was that low. No, because I saw a lot of texts over the last day or two coming in, and I didn't have an answer for it. Yeah, yeah. But tell, tell me, the, why do you believe, um, these may or may not be your words, but that the media are anti-men? What, what does it mean? I don't know. In the last few days, I, I mean, I'm not taking away from what's going on and what have you, but in the media, COVID seems to, COVID is dying off now. So the media needs something else to fill in. And it seems to be anti-men, 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 anti-men. You don't think it's just re- reporting of stories and assaults against women? which needs I to be don't think there's any more assaults or any more abuse of women than there has been in the past. But I think it's being reported a hell of a lot, actually over the top in my I'm not taking but, from but it. But statistically, not that's it. not true. I don't have the stats in front of me now, but I did go through statistics um, that we got from different, the likes of um, uh, rape and counselling services that have shown, you You are aware of that, that there has been more yeah. attacks and that rape is up and that sexual assault is up and domestic abuse, they're all up. Yes, but then you have to counteract that with, I don't know if you can remember, it's a good few years back now, but I don't know if you can remember, Jerry Adams actually, I think, addressed Michal Martin and he said, how many victims, male victims of domestic violence are there? Have you got the statistics for that? And Michal Martin said, um, um, no, we didn't have to hand, have yeah. any figures. I think, it's, I, think it's, I think it's maybe 6%, is it? I think. Mm. And you see... As well, like, you know, like I was saying... To well, well, they're reported now. I'm, I'm not suggesting they're accurate. There'd be an awful lot of men who are suffering in silence or, and not reporting and not sharing. Yeah, and there's only one helpline for men, amen. And it's answered. It's women answer the phone. And it's you have to pay for it. It's not a free phone number. Okay, I don't know. You know, so I think that's kind of grossly unfair. And when it comes to, like, even the soap operas, like EastEnders have this coercive control storyline going on with this fella Gray. He murdered his first wife and he's with this new one now and he's coercively controlling her. This then is Incarnation is Street. Yeah. No, this, that's EastEnders. Incarnation okay. Street then. You have the teenage boys are doing these upskirting videos and it's like every man is made out to be Jack the Ripper. Like. Okay. Okay, and why have and soap operas started to engage in these kind of storylines? Is it is to create? Is it is it? Do they feel they're doing a service to create awareness, or or what? I don't know. I just think it's just a whirlwind. I don't know what it's about. I really don't know what it's about because most men are decent men. I don't have any children, but I'm an uncle. I have a niece. I have a sister. My mother has passed away. I have aunts, I have, I have grandnieces as well, and I respect them totally, and I would worry about them as well. But I don't think things are any worse than they were in the past, to be quite honest. Maybe they're reported more now, but I don't think they were any worse than they were in the past. Men's and the it, media yeah. seem to be storming in on it, like... I know. I mean, if there if there are assaults or serious assaults or rapes or you know, Evergreen Street or whether it was up the country with Ashley Murphy or if it was Rachel and Balancholic um, twenty years ago, th- those stories will always be re- reported. You know. But Neil, do you not agree then as well? We hear about these things. 
I went head to head with the head of the rape crisis centre. What's her name? Um, I can't think of her name now off the top of my head. But she was saying that all young boys and young men are looking at pornography and they're trying to reenact that. And I said, that's absolutely rubbish. I said, that is complete rubbish. Because whenever we talk about pornography, we always hear that women are exploited. Well, any pornography that I ever saw, there was men appeared in it as well. So were they not exploited also? Um, You don't see any kind of correlation with the increase of sexual assaults, rape, domestic abuse, violence, with the arrival of... um, um, easy access to pornography come on it's got to be a factor it has to be well I mean I'd watch Murder She Wrote and I like Poirot but I mean I wouldn't feel like going out and killing someone after I watched it you know most people wouldn't it would have to be in you in the first place Um. well I mean like Men's Aid are an organisation that support men in Ireland right and they have a statistic it says one in seven men in Ireland will experience domestic abuse in their lifetime. One in 16 experience severe domestic abuse and violence. So this is domestic abuse in their relationship, living in fear yeah. and, uh, you know, yeah. you know, living under control. Or this could be psychological yeah. and physical abuse, you know, one in seven men. Yeah. And men that's need a, that's to a high number. More. That's a high number, isn't it? It is actually. And it's probably higher than that. You see, we're told from a young age, man up, big boys don't cry. Do you remember that song? It was a 10cc, big boys don't cry. Yeah, but but it's... You know, you're told to just man up and just get on with it and that's it. But but women are much more forthcoming to discuss situations in their life, much more so it appears than men. And that's why we are hearing more about women. Yeah, at risk. And when it comes to consent classes as well, I don't think it just should be just men going to consent classes. Women should go to consent classes as well. Yeah. Why should uh, it be just men? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it works both ways. It takes two to tango. You know, what are we going to go? Are we going to go down the stage that we're going to have to have a, a legal document that will have to be signed by both I, parties? I, I have, no idea, I have no idea where that's going, but you, you certainly, if you had a, a son or a daughter now, say in their teens or 20-somethings, you'd be, if they were willing to listen to you, try and give them the best advice you could with regards to dating. You know, Yeah, I mean, would like. I was always brought up, I mean, my parents, both my parents, my father and my mother, both of them are deceased now, but I was brought up to respect women and my father always respected my mother. And we were always brought up that way. Like I have a lot of brothers, and but you know, no one is saying no one, I know, women. but you know, no one is saying all men. No one is saying even close to all men. But what women will say is that it is still men, nonetheless. But if you listen to the media, if you listen to the media, if you look at the media, if you read the media, it's men, 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 men. Like everyone is Jack the Ripper. And I'm really, I, I really think men should stand up more and stand up for their own gender and stand up for the de- 90% of men, 95% of men are decent men and have respect and respect women. Um, and how do they do that? How, you mean they should have their voice heard saying that, is it? Like, like you're doing now? Yes, exactly. 
yes, because it's just constant negative narrative. I mean, it was horrible, that tragedy, that girl that was murdered up in Longford, and it was horrible about the other attack and the attack in Evergreen Street. I mean... You see, we don't, we don't, we don't necessarily hear of men being mugged while going out for a run by a woman and murdered or strangled by a woman, you see. Oh, I was beaten into a pub twice. And on top of that, when it comes to sexual harassment, I worked in the catering industry and the hospitality industry, I should say, actually. And I worked in bars and I worked in restaurants. I worked as a barman. I worked as a waiter. And I worked as a night porter as well, actually, at one stage. And the things, I was grabbed by the crotch. I was grabbed by the ass. I was spanked on the ass. And the filthy, disgusting things that a group of drunken women said to me, you wouldn't believe. You know, and other male colleagues of mine had it as well. And we just got on with it. We just had to deal with it. And that was it. Mm. Mm. You know, and you, I mean... You were talking there earlier on about the girl being put outside the nightclub and this, that and the other. That's only one side of the story, Neil. It just, there is no other side to the story, Anthony. It's just not acceptable. There could be no excuse for doing that. How do you know she could have been totally outrageous? I know around here where I'm living, no. you know that I'm living in a student area. Yeah. Most of the noise and most of the commotion and most of the roaring and screaming comes from the girls. I can't, I ar- I can't argue that with you when somebody says to me that in one case it was to go back in and to get uh, her bag. Another girl, it was because she went out to make a phone call because it was too noisy inside. There's no mention that she was demented or causing fights or hassling people, nothing. At She just... This well, was just, we don't this know was that. No, we, we don't know, but like, nor do you know it. I'm not doubting her. Nor do you know it. I mean, I know. I, I don't know both sides. I don't know the other side. Here's I couple, don't know the other side of the story. Here's a couple of a couple of interesting texts. I think it's either in someone's nature to do horrendous things like that, or something might have happened and triggered something in their brain to make them nature is nature, um, psychopath or sociopath. Some people, regardless of their sex, are just born a- evil. There's no fixing that. It has nothing yeah. to do with sex, race, or nationality. Another one: the irrational logic of some women on this is why a lot of men don't respect them. I was never told not to attack women, and I never have. But two men were murdered last week. You don't even know their names. That's another interesting text. Um, yeah, and yeah some that's mo- true, yeah. yeah. Here's some more if you want them. I'm sitting here with my mouth wide open at this man. My God, does he not realize, Anthony, that you are part of the problem? I'm part of the problem. That's the text. I'm so. trying to solve the problem, because the more and more that you're going to demonize men those psycho men out there that commit these crimes will be get more and more volatile and will commit more crimes. But men need, to, call, men, men need to call it out more. Men need, even the simple things like challenging your friends who think that it's just idle banter, that it's anti-women and they might find it fun. You need to challenge them and say, I don't think that's funny. I don't think you should talk like that. I don't want you to send me those videos or those pictures anymore. Like Men need to step up but most men do. Okay, yeah, all right. Most I get men you. do, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm trying to stand up for. Okay. Most men do. We're not all Jack the Ripper. Here's and it's just this constant negativity for the past couple of weeks. And when it's spilling into the soap operas, then as well, it's just like, I'd hate to be a young man now. I mean, I'm in my 40s. 
I'd hate to be in my 20s now. You'd be afraid to even look sideways at a woman. Okay, okay. A couple of texts here saying, one says, fair play, well said, Anthony. Another one says, sorry, but I feel that Anthony is right. Uh, As a man, I now feel that we men, we as men, are being put out that we're all rapists or sexist. It's totally over the top. 90 plus percent of men are loving dads, brothers and uncles. So let's not have all young girls growing up thinking that all men are evil. There you have it. Yes. That's a good point, yes. All right, my man. Listen, thanks for getting in touch. Do Thank stay in you, touch. Neil. Appreciate it, Anthony. Nice to always, talk to you again. Yeah, always entitled to your opinion like everybody else. So text 0868104106. We can come back to that conversation. Back after the break. Calling Red FM Studio? Call the new number. 0818104106. And you can text 0868104106. Um, can I just... Okay, that, that's very serious, some of the conversations we had this morning. But if you wouldn't mind, I was just going to flip for the time that I've left in it because we were talking there recently about the things that you buy, right? And the things that you buy that were absolutely, totally and utterly useless and you bought them on a whim. And I was asking people to give examples of that. And Ross says, a Dyson cordless. It is a 300 euro wall decoration. I find them finicky. They get blocked too easily constantly need emptying. Well, Hoover's do. And you need a two euro coin to open the brush head. Mine is an older model. I would hope they'd have it sorted by now, but I wouldn't accept one of those Dyson's cardless if I won it in a raffle. (laughs) Heidi said, all the creams and serums that I bought, what a joke, that will minimise the old wrinkles. I'm now putting coconut oil on my skin, which is doing better, and I can can use the same jar of coconut oil for cooking. (laughs) I I have a confession to make. I too use coconut oil, right? I use it in my hair, but when and then when it's on my hands after my hair, I use it on my face. So I have no more creams. Never bother with serum. And look at me like I'm a doppelganger for George Clooney. So I, it's all coconut oil from my neck up. Like it's just it's just coconut oil. <laughs> So I'm with you on that, Heidi. <laughs> There's loads more of those, but I need to move on because they're going to run out of time. And I want to talk to a guy who actually, as opposed to me trying to make people laugh, this comes very natural to this guy. And it's a while since we last spoke to him. Can I please welcome Mario Rosenstock? Good morning. <laughs> Neil, I got the fright of my life. I thought that when you started the introduction by saying, what about the things that are absolutely useless that you can buy? Like Mario Rosenstock tickets at the opera. I thought you were going to absolutely roast me there, Neil. No, no, I, I was actually waiting for your line number to come up. As a broadcaster, you know that. So when the line number was assigned, I knew you were there. But how have you been? How have the last two years been? I was just taking, sorry, before you say that, I was just taking notes because I was going to see that you were going to ask me some characters and I was taking notes of Roy Keane and I had written down who the hell do you think you are putting coconut oil in your hair? <laughs> where, do you, where are you scraping this coconut oil? It, you're down to the gym, you're pumping iron, you're yeah. going around Cork, thinking you're lord of the manor, spreading <laughs> coconut oil all over your grind, you all over grip? the back of your leg, all over your arse cheeks. Uh, Neil, coconut oil, Prenderville, Jesus uh, Christ. If I can get a word in edge, it's from my neck up. The rest of my body and is untouched. you have some neck, Prenderville. You have some neck, all right. <laughs> You, you know what? I came out, I haven't been on Red FM in two years. And is it Brenda? Is it Brenda who's yeah, outside yeah. there? Brenda comes on. You'll be on in a second, Mario. By the way, just two minutes. You're giving away a ticket. Smart. You're giving away tickets to us now as well, aren't you? That's my friend. Don't tell me I was giving away tickets. Oh, oh, yeah. We'll twist your arm for a few pairs of tickets for the opera. You have yeah. five gigs. You can share a few tickets with five gigs in April, in fairness. 
Neil, there's no, Neil, there's no, I've said this to you before. There, first of all, you have no idea how excited, I know I mightn't sound it, but how excited I am to be talking to you. If you could see me now, I am, I look excited, put it like that, to be talking to you, Neil. And it's not because of your lovely, lovely honey voice and your coconut oil and all that. I am so excited, Neil, to be talking to you because this means that I must be going on stage. And, you know, it's no secret that Cork is my favourite place to play. And people have taken me up on this and go, oh, I bet you say that everywhere you go, but I don't. Because people have said, actually, fairness, I, I'm from Cork and I was in Limerick and I heard you on Limerick Live and they said, where's your favourite place? And you said, Cork. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, I'll tell you, you are the real deal, boy. You are the real deal. So get down into Cork on the 12th to 16th you, and we'll have the night of all nights, will boy. You be having a, will you be having a go at us, the likes of Kino and Matt Cooper and all Raj and the likes? You will, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I've, 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 I've been following the latest um, exploits of Roy Keane. Well, Sunderland, yeah. I hope nobody's yeah. mobile phone goes off at a press conference. <laughs> oh, talk about talk, uh, talk about put, putting a different spin on Sunderland till I die. Jesus, I'm going to be killing people when I go down there. I mean, I was listening to you. I was listening to your radio show for the last hour there, Neil. And the moment I switched it on, all I could hear is talking. How many coffins can you get into a grave? <laughs> What kind of a show are you running down there? So one minute you're going about, could you get five coffins into a grave or six? Could we have three on the line? How many coffins could you get into a grave? While I rub coconut oil all over my ass. Stop, you're going to give me a heart attack. No, no, no. I'd be taking the pace out of loads of people from Cork. So I'll have the last me. laugh when you're 65 or 70 and I'm 65 okay, or 70. I'll have, I'll have a face like a baby's bum and you'll be like a roadmap of Ireland. <laughs> Let's see how crap an impressionist I am, right? <laughs> so I'll do I'll do some cork people and you see who I'm doing, okay? okay. You just try to guess who I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, well the first thing I'd like to say is okay. Neil Prenderville is a substandard broadcaster who never played rugby and doesn't go to the gym. Who's that? <laughs> the great one and only hooker. Okay, let me... I'm no hooker. Um, let, <laughs> so who's this? Who's this? Okay, your listeners can guess as well. Yeah, so listen, Neil, how how bad did it get? Like, did you ever, did you ever think about... Like, I'm, I'm listening to you now, but like, you know, did you share your emotions, you know, when, when that was happening? Or, or, you know, when you were coming back from Talker to Bishopstown, okay? I mean, was that difficult? Was there a lot of COVID there? Was there a lot of COVID on on the road? For can you can you pick up COVID on the road? Can you? You can, can Brendan O'Connor. You can. Okay, very good, very good. Okay, number three. Yeah, um, I absolutely can't wait to get to the car. Right. There he is. There he is. How about this one? And I don't mean Podge and Raj. Who the hell do you think you are? Sticking coconut oil up your ass. Who the hell do you think you are at the end of the day? Oh, credit to coconuts. <laughs> Another okay, man whose name this? starts with R. Who's this one? <laughs> yeah, no, I had a great kick down in him. I had a great kick down in the Cork Opera House with Neil Frienderville. He doesn't know much about economics or business, but I'll tell you, the women love him. They were queuing up outside. They were all the way back to Ballyfehan and Toker. I believe he has a couple of flats down in Ballyfehan. Of course, you live in Montanati, isn't that right, Neil? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I got a second. Is that right? First of all, is that male or female? That's Matt Cooper. That... <laughs> <laughs> That's my impression. Of Matt he won't Cooper. be impressed with that impression. No, no, because I got a text off him yesterday, and it said, "Stop effing doing me as Miss Piggy." Yeah, so, yeah, he does sound like Miss Piggy, and he doesn't. Hey, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so we'll all be down there. Can you guess it? We'll all be down there, Neil. We'll be there, and I'll be there in the Cork Opera House. Oh, and I'll be plugging away on the old Boron. And I'll be singing me old hit from the COVID days. Oh, lockdown, lockdown harder. harder. How's it going? Lockdown, 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 lockdown harder. Come on, Cork. Come on in and see me, Cork. And no drinking on the night because I don't like people drinking when I'm singing. <laughs> they tell me this is going to. You know, everybody loves an artist and they buy all their new albums, but they only want yeah. to have the greatest hits. Is this the greatest hits of, of Rosenstock like? This is so. This was the, this is the greatest hit show that never was. This is the, this was this hit was so good that they had to bring in a world virus to stop it. This show was so good. The only way they could stop this show was we'll have to bring in the virus. That's the only thing that can stop them. So I am asking the pork people to come out and do what they have always done: bring your coconuts, bring your oil. Let's take the piss out of Prenderville and let's have the night of all nights. Feel and then free, let's pal. In our favorite bar afterwards, and let's pour pints on each other and exchange spittle and get off with each other. Oh, you know the pouring the pints and exchanging spittle? That's a bit like the lockdown parties that they had on Downing Street and also, unfortunately, within our own government departments. Although the difference there was in, the, in Downing Street, they had champagne. In Simon Coveney's department, it was only sparkling wine. Oh, Would you be having a go with them? And I mean, that's, that's a shame because it's Simon Coveney's department and him being a merchant prince from Cork, you thought at least he could have contacted his buddies in Musgraves and got a decent bottle of champagne. <laughs> I'm telling you now, boy. But I'm telling you, no, 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 Neil, of course. I want all the people from Nocnahini and Ballyfihan and Mosinotti and Toka and, you know, Trimaleague and Allahees and Glengareth and all my wonderful places in the colonies to come and see me and Boris have a wonderful, wonderful party. <laughs> We're having a lot of fun, actually, with a lot of Borises in Ireland at the moment. In West Cork, we've got the Russians off the... You're aware of that, are you? Yeah, I had a lovely... Um, there, was a, there was a sketch I did last week on Gift Grove, and it was basically... When I heard about the Russians off West Cork, I just went, well, first of all, Leo and Pascal were negotiating with Vladimir Putin over the phone. So uh, Leo's there like, um, you know, I mean, for God's sake, I mean, the Russians have got, you know, it doesn't really matter if they take out Cork with a nuclear missile anyway, as long as they don't get South William Street. And Pascal was there now, Leo, mind yourself now. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to take the helicopter and we're going to negotiate with the Russians themselves. So Leo and Pascal take the helicopter. They're heading towards the Russians. And they're there like, Pascal, it's one, it's one Irish helicopter versus the entire Russian Navy. Shut up, Leo. And then next thing they go, we're going to need support. And the next thing you hear is all credit to Armageddon. And it's Roy Keane and uh, Ronan O'Gara and two red helicopters beside them. (laughs) As they take on the Russians. We'll fight them street to street in Mayfield. Um, So it would have been fun if the Russians invaded Cork. Just to see how Cork people would have dealt with it. I'll tell you something. Um, I was reading somewhere that you can sum up Irish politics... 20 years of Irish politics on stage in five minutes. Is that even yeah, possible? So basically 10 minutes into the show, about 10 minutes after the show starts, Miriam O'Callaghan comes on a big screen and she goes, um, you know, genuinely, I'm delighted you're here, but we'd like now to present to you Irish politics in five minutes. And basically I do uh, the last 20 years of Irish politics, one man on stage, multiple different personalities, delighting wigs, costumes in five minutes and I try and explain the last 20 years in five minutes with Bertie Ahern uh, Andy Kenny Joan Burton Michael Noonan Pascal Donahue Leo Varadkar Brian Cowan all those guys and you're like Houdini then with the wig changes are you? I'm a bit yeah yeah I have to do that yeah Um, the uh, it's it's, it's a tricky little it's a tricky little performance but um, ends with a beautiful rendition of uh, how the 
2020 election finished with a beautiful rendition of The Shinners Takes It All. <laughs> Jerry Abbott singing The Shinners Take It All, which uh, oh it, it, it brings the house down. And that's only 10 minutes in, it brings the house down. And then I'll be doing John Spillane. I'll come on stage, especially for the cock people, because there's only one more person that's more brilliant than Neil Prenderville, and that's John. I'm brilliant, Spillane. Imagine yourself cast away on a beach in Inch on the strand all isolated with nowhere to go just Mario Rosenstock and Neil Prenderville with two coconuts <laughs> oh my god almighty it's incredible that's a long that's a, of course all of this is rescheduled because it was put on hold so you're desperate yeah. to get out there you're doing the entire country it's five nights at the Op House from the 12th to, Neil, to the 16th I, I, the, the, most, the most key word you use there is desperate I am desperate to get out there. I am desperate for the money. I am desperate to see people's eyeballs. I'm desperate for spittle. I'm desperate to meet them afterwards. I'm desperate to have pints. And I'm desperate to lodge the money into my bank account so that I can keep away all those people who go, Mira, any chance of getting that money I lent you there a couple of years ago, boy? Off your back. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, because, you know, oh. I, I know, but on a slightly more serious level, Neil, like, um, I suppose, you know, it's just, in a way, it's, I've had a job on the radio, which is amazing. But at the same time, it's been absolute crippling for people like me who haven't been able to stand on stage and stand in front of people. And, and, uh, and, and express uh, that, yourself. Yeah, and just express yourself. Like, even now, you can... There's, there's a, probably some fellas in Cork Taxi right now. Here's this langer again now. Too. He's way over the top, this fella. And of course, I'm way over the top because I'm full of, I'm so full of energy. I'm busting with energy, dying to get out there. And my apologies to the listeners if I feel too excited because I am. I'm brimming with excitement and energy and I just can't wait to get out there. No apologies. Anybody who's going to be there, anybody who's going to be there on the first night, good luck because I'm going to be hauling people up onto the stage left, right and centre this time. <laughs> uh, listen, it's great to catch up with you, my man. It really and truly is. So five nights at yeah, the Opera well, House, Neil, can I just 12 say to the well, 16th. Thanks, thanks to you as well, because I'm in a pity I can't be there today, because I always really love coming down to talk to you personally in Red FM. You always give me a really good airing and you're... You laugh and you're just you're just great. So thanks a million for having me and uh, and I look forward to seeing you again. I know of your talent, Mario. Look after yourself and we can't wait to see you in April, all right? You're very good. <laughs> all the best. Take care. Thanks a million. All the Bye-bye. best. We have pairs of tickets to give away for the Tuesday gig now. So we'll finish on that. Phone lines are open for that one. Brand new phone line 0818-104-106. You want some tickets for Mario Rosenstock at the Opera House. You can book directly online at the Opera House online or indeed at the box office. The 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th and 16th of April. It's great to have gigs back. It's great to have musicians, comedians and everything back again. Long may it continue and he's one of the all-time greats. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now on the new number 0818-104-106. Right, we'll pick up on all of the business tomorrow morning. Before I love you and leave you, a great friend of the show, the one and only Sheila O'Mahony is 86 years young today. You'll know her as one of the very famous Golden Girls. Uh, so have a wonderful day from all of your family, all of your friends, and all of us here at Corks Red FM as well. Happy birthday, Sheila. I know you'll have a great day. Sean O'Regan scooped a couple of tickets for Mario Rosenstock at the Opera House. Season Castle Freak. 
from Clonakilty. Well done. Oh, and I'll, I'll have the last laugh, or myself and Heidi will have the last laugh with our jars of cooking oil, I can tell you. Um, uh, see one here from Sandra. I'm with you, Neil, and your listener who uses coconut oil. You can tell Connor Pope and all other economists that we would all save a fortune on face moisture, moisturizers, on body lotions, on face serums, night creams. Just get yourself a jar of coconut oil. Yeah, I mean, it comes hard in a block inside and the jars are like a fiver. Um, and, uh, and away, you just kind of scoop out a bit of it, rub it up in your hand. And then from the hair to the face to the neck, and that's it. I, I don't think it would work, though, talking about the golden girls. I don't think it would work with the golden sunshine. I mean, if it was 28 or 30 degrees outside, blazing sun in the summer, I'm not sure it would be recommended then to be going out with coconut oil in your head and your face. I think it would really burn. But anyway, so another one or two then before I go, the most useless things be ever purchased. Now, a lot of it would have come, I suppose, from, you know, those shopping channels where you end up buying all of these gadgets, right? Buy one, get one free kind of a thing. Uh, Breda says, a, a tanning tent and a machine for going out. Uh, I got into it maybe three times a year. I also have a vibro machine that I used a few times. You stand up at it. Shakes the BJs out here. A vibro. I need a second mortgage now to pay the ESB after the vibro machine. I have a full kit of gel, uh, gel nails too. I only, only, I only use twice. And a full set of Venetian blinds for a house that I left after one year. The list of useless things I bought is endless. Uh, Brian says, I have a virtual reality headset that I got from the Euro shop. You got a virtual reality headset for a euro? Um, Ina says, an electric can opener. Why don't they invent a can opener that actually opens cans? I mean, has nobody managed to master a can opener yet? Kaylee says, heels for the pre-disco picks when I was 16. Um, as soon as the picture was taken, the heels were off and the converse went on immediately. Neil Prendeville, the voice of Cork. Weekdays 9 to 12. Cork's Red FM.